Today's episode is brought to you by SaveWithConrad.com, and I've got a pro tip for you. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. You're going to get stuck making minimum payments. You're going to have a crazy interest rate. You don't want to do that. Make this the best Christmas ever and go to SaveWithConrad.com. First of all, we're going to lower your monthly payments. We have routinely helped our podcast listeners save two, three, four, five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And how in the world are we doing that? Well, we're consolidating their debt. We're getting it down into a lower interest rate, but most importantly, we're taking unnecessary years off of your loan. If you're in a 30 year loan, you owe too much money on your house. It's time you pay that house off faster and I can help you do it with cheaper monthly payments. And it's not magic. We're going to help you get rid of all your other debt at the same time. And how's this for starters? No house payments for two months. If you haven't already, you won't have to make your December or your January payment. You're done until February 1st and come February, you're going to have a better mortgage. Keep more of your own money and find out how much money you can save when you pay your house off faster, reducing tens of thousands of dollars worth of unnecessary interest. And you get rid of all your credit card debt, just like that. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And we're licensed in like 40 something states. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at savewithconrad.com. That's savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooed it. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared. I ain't scared. Fuck him. You, Bruce. I love you. Double cheeseburger. Double cheese. Double man. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm uh, great. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope uh, everyone's enjoyed their turkey. They're all stuffed, and by God, you've had your pumpkin pie, you had your apple pie, you had your fruit of the forest pie, you had your cranberry sauce, you had your stuffing, you had your fried turkey, you had your little green bean casserole with the almonds and shit on top. What the fuck is a fruit of the forest pie? Dude, you've never had a fruit of the forest pie? Clearly not. Good God. It is the greatest thing ever to get at Silverman's Farms, and it's um, apples. Strawberries, rhubarb, blackberries, blueberries. It's the fruit of the forest, all in one pie. And it is magnificent. I don't know. I don't want anything that's mag, but I'll tell you what. I am pretty excited. Magpie pie. No, don't want that either. Damn. Your Thanksgiving day tradition continues. A little something to wrestle. Watch along action. This year, we're bringing you Survivor Series 1989. And Hey, there's something to be thankful for. You're getting something to wrestle a day early, Bruce. We're going to fire up the WWE network and we're going to click play on this. And then uh, I think the runtime is about two hours, 40 minutes. But before we get started, we do need to tell you that today's show is brought to you by a sponsor. We really, really believe in solid gold. 
Did you know that 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut or that supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight environmental allergies. Solid gold is passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts both the immune system and overall wellness of our pets. Solid gold is in fact, the first holistic pet food company in America started way back in 74 by Sissy McGill. Now, Sissy was a trailblazer and a pioneer who disrupted the male dominated industry and created a natural pet food before it was cool. She got her inspiration from European pet food and the fact that European great Danes lived longer than their American counterparts. Her first recipe Hunden Flocken is, uh, now providing high quality nutrition and digestive health for over 20 generations of dogs. Solid gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high quality food is the best way to impact our pets, mind, body, and spirit. And for over 45 years, solid gold has revolutionized the holistic pet food category. And they have a recipe for any cat or dog's dietary needs, including whole grain. How about grain free options, wet food supplements like sea meal and 100% human grade bone broth for dogs. Solid gold foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods balanced with living probiotics and fuel with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, supporting gut health and nourishing your pet inside and out. And right now, Solid Gold is offering our viewers 30% off your first order by visiting solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. That's solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle for 30% off your first order. Remember, solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. And I hear that your mangy mutt is all about this bone broth. Well, when you're talking about mangy mutts, you must be thinking about Silva's mutt. Uh, my mutts are not mangy. They're wonderful. And you want to know why they're wonderful? Because this is all they eat. They love their bone broth and they love their treats from solid gold. And Dodger sits there like the best damn dog, the official dog of something to wrestle with, and is the best behaved puppy on earth when he knows he's going to get his solid gold treat. So there you go. Well, let's go ahead without further ado. Let's fire up Survivor Series 1989 on the WWE Network. Go ahead and turn your closed captions on if you'd like, but certainly press mute. Bruce will give you a countdown, and when uh, he says play, press play, and we're going to have some fun today. All right, you know the rules. I go five, four, three, two, one, play. So when I say that uh, P L A Y word again, uh, you hit the button. All right. Five, four, three, two, one, play. What you talking about, brother? This is Thanksgiving, dude, and this is the Survivor Series. So the uh, Hulkamaniacs are going to be there, brother. And tonight, it's all about what's going to happen at the end of the show, brother. Well, everybody knows there are three words that everybody abides by. That's Hulk must pose, brother. Hey, what you gonna do? Because I'm looking for time cues here, brother. Survivor Series. I think that's the other guy coming up later on. (laughs) Million Dollar Man. Virgil, that's a great promo. Virgil did. He's thinking about that meat sauce. Demolition Smash! It's Survivor! Mm, yeah, freak out, freak out, sure, because the Macho King will reign supreme. Uh-huh, you notice we get more time than everybody else. Ho! 
It's amazing that was a gimmick. What? Ho? I love that. The Ooh, early baby, thing. I'm thankful for my polka dots here on Thanksgiving Day, baby. Big Boss Man is thankful for his ball and chain. And there's the beefer, by God. And Rick Martel, he's got his glasses. Beautiful, ravishing Rick Rude. He's thankful for kissing all the lovely ladies. Hello there. It's hot, Rod. I'm thankful for being cheap. And I'm thankful for writing poems. And I'm absolutely perfect. I know what Lanny Poffo was really thankful for. Oh, I'm thankful for sardines. Oh, yay. Look when they almost make out. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> they loved each other. I get it. That was the best promo he ever cut. Dude, I love this old theme here. But in team competition, when team yeah, the uh, nice little old school Survivor Series. I haven't seen this. You told me I wasn't allowed to watch this till today. Well, here's what's fascinating about this. Look at there. It's Sarah's Tully Blanchard, but Tully ain't here. Yeah, well. We're going to talk about that. There's lots of other. I'm going to play the audio here. Just lay out for a minute. And don't press it on your son. And Mr. Perfect, along with the Bushwhackers and the Fabulous Rujos, it's Ronnie's Rowdies against Rude's Rude. Team Captains, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Macho King Randy Savage join fellow members Rugged Ronnie Garvin and Greg the Hammer Valentine, along with Bret Hart, along with Dino Bravo. And the earthquake! It's the 4x4s against the King's Court! Team Captain Dusty Rhodes and the Big Boss Man join fellow members Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Bad News Brown along with the Red Rooster! Rick Martell, Pito Santana, the Honky Tonk Man! It's the Dream Team versus the Enforcers! Team Captains Hulk Hogan and Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase join fellow members Jake the Snake Roberts! And Zeus, along with Demolition and the Powers of Pain, it's the Hulkamaniacs versus the Million Dollar Team. It's the Survivor Series. Goddamn, I love the old horns and the uh, themes. Jim Johnston was addicted to the saxophone in the late 80s, and it made me very, very happy. Well, he, he liked the big horns by God and, and Vince liked all that big, the big sound, the big band sound by God. So, uh, Vince doing the voiceover is what I wanted everybody to hear. It's just phenomenal. Uh, it hits me in all the feels when Vince would introduce the different talent, but you know, it's very noticeable when there's an edit in there, there's nowhere near the same levels or environment, uh, where Vince is, is, is cutting some of this, especially the insert you heard for the earthquake, which is just jarring. It's so different. How far in advance does, um, does, does a voiceover like this happen? It depends. Shit. Sometimes we did it that day. You know, it would, it would really depend on whether or not, um, we had something specific that I would do during the week during when we were all in doing voiceovers or I'd get Vince to come over to the studio and cut something in the audio booth or a lot of times, and probably this time we just, uh, cut something 
that that day, like all those promos and shit, all that was done that day and laid out. So he may have done it that very day. I don't know why I'm just fascinated by the fact that it feels sort of thrown together. You know, there's lots of, uh, questions about, uh, Tully Blanchard, who was advertised for the show, but doesn't make it. We'll get into it. We're watching the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart coming to the ring. And of course he's got slick with him. What a, what an interesting group of folks. This is Rick Martell, bad news, Brown, the big boss man and the honky tonk man. Well, by God, they're the enforcers. It's just a fascinating. I mean, it feels like a joke, you know, uh, a corrections officer, an Elvis impersonator, a model and a judo champion walk into a bar. And, and then of, a barber comes down. Yes. With, I mean, how would you describe his look to an outsider? If you were to describe the way Burtis looks to a non-wrestling fan. 1989 chic by God and not to chicy baby for to humble. He, he was a fact. Oh my God. <laughs> the red rooster, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and I believe that's an old, uh, Terry Taylor robe that he's cut up and, and made say rooster on the back. Now it's a rooster jacket. Ooh, baby. Fuck it. Like a monkey. got my polka dot. I got my night stick. I'm ready to whoop somebody's ass. It's, it's a culmination, if you will, of the big boss man in American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, just a common man, him. Son of a plumber. Very wealthy plumber, I might add. My daddy was very wealthy. I grew up on the east side of town with all the rich, rich, ritty folk. Isn't it amazing how some of the things we've, all, we've always been led to believe are just, well... A little less than factual. Well, it's called storytelling there, Connie. You know, believe it or not, you know, Bruce Bar Beefcake was uh, was uh, on the Olympic team. Really? But he, he had to hide that as a heel, so. He was on the Olympic team of what? Well, you know. No, but what sport? What was the event that he was on a team for? Wrestling. Really? R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. So, Bruce, you know, this is obviously a Thanksgiving Day tradition. We've talked about this a little bit before, but tell everybody, you know, what Thanksgiving Day would have been like in the WWF in 1989. Good God, getting there early, you know, for, let's see, this was, oh, man, this was uh, Chicago, and this was, um, we actually flew commercial. So the next day we all were at the airport extremely early flying back to white plains to have Thanksgiving dinner with our friends and family. And usually somebody would have a big Thanksgiving dinner, but Thanksgiving day consisted of getting to the building and having a very quick production meeting, everybody getting their assignments and going and laying out their matches. It wasn't like it, like it, turned into with long production meetings and laying everything out. This was a pretty much simple lay of the land. And then, uh, agents got together with their talent and 
laid everything out and figured out what they were going to do for that evening. And we went to work. If we had pre-tapes to do, like the opening of the show, we'd get everybody in there as soon as possible, get them dressed, have them do their bite about what they were thankful for, and go have some turkey and dressing and sauerkraut because the guy that ordered the catering was German and always liked sauerkraut with his turkey. And uh, rock and roll. Rock and roll indeed. What's your um what's your memory of, of holiday travel like this when back when you guys were doing a commercial, you know, the big the big group of guys stepping out to get to the airport together. I mean, I assume in this since you're talking about, you know, that we're all flying commercial, was everybody still renting a car here and getting themselves to the airport? Are you guys renting a big bus? What's that process look like in 1989? Well, the talent's all on their own. They're, you know, they have the guys they, they travel with and ride with. So, um, they're doing it all on their own. And we were the same way. We went to the airport by ourselves and got rental cars when we landed and went, went to the hotel, stood in line, just like everybody else and checked in. So it was, Everybody did the same routine, pretty much. You just did it with those that you traveled with. But it wasn't like a big crew going through a lot of times. Everybody just kind of did their own thing, kept to themselves. And, you know, when you spend so much time with everybody in locker rooms and, and in cars and shit, that, whoa, fuck you, get flip flop and fly, baby. Just stand there looking like another when I do my gyrations and shit. Mm-hmm. How cool is it to see the American dream and big Bubba Rogers in a WWF ring here? Yeah, that was big Bubba Rogers too. That wasn't no skinny Ray trailer later on, but you know what? He's a moving some of my bitch for 1989 being a big fella. Yeah. No shit. No shit. He could always go, man. It was like, he was a hell of an athlete. How underrated is Ray trailer all time? You know, I think people give him his due. I really do. I think that uh, people like to go back and visit that Bubba Rogers bullshit. And that's what they, you know, very few people. I think that 98% of the people look at the big boss man and only knew him as the big boss man. But, you know, for those, I know Dusty always only saw him as uh, Bubba Rogers. Bubba Rogers. And, you know, for those that didn't see it, it was it was a period in time and it wasn't that long that he was Bubba Rogers. So, you know, he was big boss man and obviously much more success as big boss man. Plus he got to show off what he could do athletically and that he actually could work and he was an athlete and he could go. How fucking money does Rick, Rick Martell look here? Oh my God. Yeah. Rick Martell always kept himself in shape one of the best workers and you know, not always the best talker, but by God, uh, let that bell ring. And Rick Martell would work with a broken broomstick. Didn't matter. So yeah. what's up with the came here? The original plan is I came. The African dream is supposed to be on this spot, but he's replaced by bad news. Brown. What's up with that? I think this was during the time that Akeem had been a little disenfranchised and wanted to go home. So, 
it happens from time to time, and What's that's up? about all it was. I don't know that it was anything more than a keen feeling he was worth more than what he was making, and he uh, was tired of the road. You know, he lives in Louisiana, and Big George liked traveling in the car, but he did not. He didn't like getting on an airplane, big man, and didn't like sitting in coach and having to um, get hit with the, you know, the beverage cart all the time and shit. So it's I just think everything took its toll. Well, it's worth mentioning. You guys are running pretty hard here. Burnout is real. Burnout is real. And this is a time that, you know, from here, these guys went on the road and they continued on the tour every single night, all through the weekend. That was a big money weekend. So for, no no rest for the weary. For better or worse, a lot of folks uh, have heard that sort of the, the attitude of the office was, you know, or not just the office. I mean, just in wrestling in general, you got to work through injuries. You don't miss dates. Um, you know, you just keep grinding. It feels like on some level, you know, there was some machismo at play. And if you try, I would just imagine that some guys, if they were told, well, so-and-so had to go home, they're burnt out. That would be met with a lot of, don't be a pussy man up. Marone? Uh, you know, probably from some people, but you know, I think everybody was feeling it and it's when it's all you've ever done, you, you become accustomed to it. It's second nature. It's, it's just a way of life. Yeah. So you don't think about it. And when someone else gets burnt out and you're not burnt out yet, it's well, fuck man. What's, what's the big deal? It's what we do. Right. And you just don't, you get into that mode and it doesn't make anybody a pussy or any less than it's just how they deal with that situation. And you, you know, it's, I tell you, for me, even now falling back into the groove, it, it took a little bit of time, but at the same time, it, as soon as you're there, you feel like I never left. And you just get right back into the no sleep and, and move forward and just keep, keep right on going. And, um, don't, you don't even think about it. And it's, it's funny. My family has fallen right back into that groove as well. And I'm home much more now than I ever was, but it's, it's a mindset, I think. And it's, it's just something that you, you either do or you don't. And for those who can do it, once you're in the grind, um, you just keep on going, man. It's it's a way of life. It's what you chose. We're seeing uh, the former tag team partners here rip it up. And good God, Martell and Tito, just two of the absolute best. You can watch them work all day long. What do you think, Martell? since retirement has really shot away from wrestling more than a lot of others. I think Rick really got into his family and realized that there's another life out there. There's a whole nother world out there other than wrestling. And 
felt that if he couldn't perform at the level that, that he performed and he had a, he just had a new life. Why go back? Um, some guys hang on too long and they don't know anything else. Rick learned a new hold, man. Rick, <laughs> Rick went out and Miss Sapphire. And, uh, and Rick just, you know, got into something else. Nothing wrong. You know, it just kind of is what it is. And Rick has no interest of, of coming back and being a part of anything. He's kind of moved on from that phase of his life. Well, so did you, I mean, you talked about that here on the show for a long time. And then once you got an opportunity to sort of try it on, see how it fits, you're back and loving it and having more fun than ever. Do you think that's just sort of the natural progression? Like, you know, you start off feeling a little hesitant and I don't know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But once it's in your blood, man, once you got an opportunity to do it again, you're having a blast, right? Yeah. And cause I've always loved the business and I, it's, you know, you think about it. I was 10 years old and around the circus, you know? <laughs> so, um, it's all I've ever really known. And it's. Without it, you know, yeah, there was there was some emptiness, but I was trying to to move on without it because I I just always felt it didn't want me anymore, so I didn't want it anymore. I'll show you, and didn't think about it for a long, long time. And coming back, it's it's just like getting on the bicycle again or getting back on the horse. You you never forget how to ride. I wish we had a blue shoe spot this week because that would have been a good time. Well, you know, uh, Terry Taylor, he, uh, he always been a heat magnet or is that something from just the last 20 years or so? Uh, oh God, no. Uh, Terry, as long as I've known Terry has always been a, been a heat magnet. You know, it's like. I'm a heat magnet. <laughs> it's, you know, Terry's a natural smart ass says what's on his mind. And, uh, not everybody likes that. You know, some people do, some people don't, but Terry is, as long as I've known him going back to when I first met him in Memphis, Tennessee, it's just always kind of been, a, been a heat magnet. Did you ever have a falling out with Terry? Um, I don't think so. I mean, Terry may disagree with that, but, but I don't think so. No. Why would Terry think you had a falling out? I don't know. I, I just think Terry sees things differently. Sometimes he definitely sees things differently than I do. And, um, I just, I, I believe that, that Terry can manifest things in his mind sometimes that aren't actually there, but, uh, teach his own. Does he, does he like being perceived as a heel? Or is he oblivious? I would find it. I don't think he's oblivious at all. And I think that from a, from a deep down, I think that Terry probably wants to do good and that Terry doesn't, doesn't see that. I think that Terry, you know, from a place deep within him really wants to do good and help people. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. I just. You know, certain times people have, you know, different personalities and, and they bring on some of that 
themselves because they really enjoy sort of stirring stuff up. And you've been on in sales environments where there's a bunch of salesmen together. Usually there's one in that bunch who just likes to keep everything stirred up. Yeah, that's the nature of the beast. That's just life. Everybody I think has their, their group that you can pick out all those people in it. It's like the guy that jumps off the yacht last. There's always one that's kind of off the beaten path. There's jumps. always one in the bar at the end of the night. Did you say jumps off the yacht last? Yeah, I just saw that on Below Deck last night. I just thought it was funny. I'm like, dude, you, you, you've you've changed. You've only been <laughs> up there a few months. We got yacht anecdotes now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. The yachties. How about, um, how about dusty in in the full polka dot gimmick here? I know a lot Looking of people, fine, baby. I love it. I know that, you know, he may not have, and a lot of people don't love it for him, but this is, and I know that people get annoyed when I say this, this is the first time I saw dusty Rhodes. I was a WWF fan. So my introduction to dusty was this dusty and man, I wanted that action figure his so damn bad. Like I remember where I was when I first saw it and the line was brutal. So mom wouldn't get it for me. And I'm like, I've never seen this one before. And now of course they're pretty valuable. So thanks a lot, mom. Way to go, mom. I just, I love this version of dusty. Yeah. I mean, this was the most famous version of dusty, no matter what anybody wants to believe. And this was also the most money that dusty had ever made. What's the deal with bad news? Always walking out on his team. Was it a gimmick or did he just really refused to put anybody over. Oh my God. He put a lot of people over. Well, here's this the thing. gimmick. He's bad news. Brown. He doesn't get along with anybody. He doesn't play well with others. I have heard. We've talked about it here on the show that he could be difficult with finishes to the point that, you know, Hogan's even told us and Lord knows Hogan is always nothing but the truth. Just the facts, ma'am. But that he wouldn't, you know, on house shows and whatever, he would always demand a schmaz finish. He didn't want to just get pinned clean. So they had to come up with a way to entertain and, and create an out. So Hogan came up with the fist fucker helmet and the fist fucker helmet would allow for a DQ and a fuck finish as opposed to somebody pinning bad news Brown. And I know that by today's standards, who gives a shit, but we've talked about that with you know, that particular type of doing business with Roddy Piper before. So it doesn't seem like the craziest question in the world, but by all means, please continue to shit on me. No, it was bad news. That was his gimmick. That was his gimmick. He didn't play well with others and he was a loner. So he would always walk out. And I think that Vince, you know, again, you have to go back to there's guys that don't want to play ball. They don't play ball for very long. And Vince is making the ultimate decision. Vince made a decision. He wanted to protect bad news. And this was one way of protecting him is you, you go out and you make sure that he's that lone, lone wolf kind of guy and doesn't work with anybody. Cooperatively. Good God, look at that. I mean, that, this is classic right here. Two classic, the best of the best, Honky Tonk Man and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. I want to punch you in the dick as hard as I can. Why? That was great. You can't. 
You can't look at the audience. They're going fucking nuts. Beefcake just beat Honky Tonk. The biggest pop of the night. Well, let's see what happened. Was it not great? We saw Sapphire a few minutes ago. She's in the crowd here. Talk to us a little bit about how Sapphire comes in. I mean, this is, as far as I know, her debut with you guys. She's seated ringside, dressed just like Dusty's gear. Got a little on-camera cheering action. Chat me up. Well, we, we were just looking for a common woman to be with Dusty and someone to just help him feel more real and more relatable. Sapphire was Juanita Wright from, I think she was from Kansas City. And she had worked a little bit, uh, Princess Little Cloud or something like that in Kansas City and Independence and things of that nature. But... Uh, Terry Garvin had known about her for a while. I had actually met her at some wrestling fan conventions years before. And just the Swiss woman you ever wanted to know, but she was real. And when, you know, Vince was looking, he goes, I, I want, you know, someone that could not be Dusty's manager per se, but that could help Dusty relate to the audience a little more. And that was Sapphire. So, um, she met Vince and, and she just, just a warm, warm, really sweet lady. And she was way too nice for this business. Yeah. That's what I've heard pretty consistently. Yeah. She just was a very simple, um, loved wrestling. She loved it, but. Once she got into the machine, realized that this is a lot harder than, and she was older too, man. She, she might've been 50 years old at this point and had never really traveled or never really worked at this level before. And it was hard work. So it took its toll on her after a while. And she, she got weary pretty quickly. I'm surprised that you're still able to work at your advanced age since you're so much older now. That ain't funny. You just acted like she was old because she's 50. I'm like, bro, you're about to high five 60. But she had never done it before. Well, to me, I feel like you got even more miles on your old tired ass. Look at that beefcake. The barber beating the model. Look at him going crazy for beefcake's win. They're going banana. They love them some beefcake, boy. He was over. Er, 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 er. Terry's going to peck him to death. We haven't talked a lot about Slick. You got any good Slick stories? God, Ken Johnson. He was a legit preacher, minister in real life. And uh, his, you know, the, the story goes, which I don't think is true, that he was Rufus R. Jones' son. But I don't think that's true. Why, why do you think that's not true? Well, because Slick told me it wasn't true. Oh. But at the same time, you know, I've heard I've heard him tell people that it was true. But he was from Dallas or Fort Worth, and because uh, I think someone had seen him in Kansas City with Rufus, 
that they just thought that, oh, it must be Rufus's son. And maybe they are. I don't know. But uh, his real name's Ken Johnson. Well, God damn it. We need to know. Can we call Slick and, and do a little Maury Povich shit on this? No. Why not? Because he's a minister. He he won't tell you the truth. Oh, look, why would you suck? Come on. What? I need to get your Lance Russell out. Oh, come on, Bruce. Oh, come on. That's not necessary. It's not. Dusty it's- with the big splash. Oh, they're surviving here. Uh, look out. Ah, oh, boss man. Come on. Hang on, baby. Yeah, him in the bed. Don't be swinging that shit on my back. Hit me where I can protect myself. Break my arm. Oh, no, here, handcuff me. Whatever it is you want to do, baby. Let's go make some money now. Oh. I had to take that damn uh, bowling ball every night for a while. The ball and chain shit in the gut. Oh! Don't talk about Stephanie like that. Well, you know. And by the way, before Twitter goes nuts, Stephanie is the name of his actual wife. There's more than one Stephanie ever born. And I married one. Yes. And now she, in fact, is Stephanie Pritchard. Don't put a T in his name. Put one on your back. BrucePritchard.com. And don't forget. He got them. She is. When you buy a shirt, you get a shirt. Well, right now you get like 20% off. Yeah, a little Black Friday sale action. Come on. No codes necessary. That's kind of like on here. We got no. Oh, Dusty busted open. Look at a young Mike Kyoto. Oh, my God. Referee Mike Kyoto, Dusty with the crimson mask. Actually, it's more like a crimson trickle. Very much a crimson trickle. Crimson trigger. I cut myself shaving. Well, oh my God, somebody, somebody, give me to the back. Yeah, hang on, let me leave my blood stained self here. <laughs> Dusty bleeding is going to be what gets him this gig here. Uh, I guess it gets him shown the door by Turner. In this era, nineteen eighty nine, would he would he have had to run this past an agent or Vince or somebody to get color like this? Oh, I, I bet you that was just an accident. Okay. He probably just got whacked and got some of his old scars opened up. And even if you know, if Dusty's going to bleed, he's going to bleed. Yeah. We'll make it count, baby. Make it good. He ain't going to get no little trickle out of the dream, baby. I'm going to play the audio here from Boss Man. You can guarantee Believe me, my man just showed what kind of man he is. Look what odds he went against. Three men against one, and he nearly took it off. Brother, I'm so proud. I didn't take I don't him know off. what to do. And Dusty Rose, you just got the worst beating in your big fat life. How's it feel, boy? Justice has been served, and it will be served more. You can count on it, you stupid puke. I can see it. It's very. You can count on it, you stupid puke. What a fun line that was. So yeah. What a uh, horrible set. Dusty and Beefcake are the sole survivors. Well, you don't like this set? I actually do. We can see the action. Well, no, no. I, I meant the, the curtain before with uh Big Boss Man. This set's good. No, it is good. You gotta love a ho chant. I think you're just a, a shade faster than me. We'll play the audio from this interview here. Of course. 
good deal with these four men. They are the four by fours that include the mechanical expertise of Brett the Hitman Hart. Let me tell you something, Gene. This is going to be the four by fours finest hour. Valentine, Bravo, the Macho King, and the Earthquake are going to find out the hard way what the 4x4s are all about. All right, here's a man that brings experience to the party in the form of Rugged Roddy Garvin. Well, the 4x4s are ready. Greg the Hammer, Valentine, i got a personal score to settle, and I'm going to shut that big mouth of yours and stick this right into it. All right, it's the power of the money. What the hell's looking at? You know me, Gene, with the hitman, Rugged Roddy Garvin, and this time. Yeah, 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 in yeah, my yeah, corner, yeah, yeah. I don't foresee any problems tonight. Okay, Captain Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You can feel it, me, Gene. You can feel it, and you can see it. This team right here is ready for anything. Savage, you and that King's Court are in for a long Before I jumps my shit for making fun of Jim Duggan being cross-eyed, Duggan made fun of himself being cross-eyed. See, beautiful Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois. Will always forever be the Rosemont Horizon to me. Yeah, so uh, the big uh, ready, aim, boom. Oh, nice little way to finish with the two by fours. Interesting that we break up the Hart Foundation into two separate teams. What's up with that? Well, just trying something new with those guys. Felt that um, we could get singles run out of them. The feeling was with Brett, you know, at one time, especially coming up, it what was it? Was it WrestleMania four we had the Battle Royal? The yeah, that's right. Bad news double crossed him. Yep. You know, that was a time to look at Brett maybe being a uh baby face and a single baby face and trying that out for a little while and Nightheart being just again trying something new. Can you believe uh, these goddamn same old, same old. Can you believe these goddamn landscapers are working on Thanksgiving? Yes, I can because uh mine are going to be here shortly too. Canadian. Yeah, but your, your yours is from Hershey, Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, Conrad, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll be out here. I'm going to be trimming your hedges. Uh, I've got a landscape. I'm going to just be over here uh, taking care of that for you. Oh, you're taping right now, so I probably shouldn't be talking to you, Clint from Hershey. I love you. But actually, it's not really tape because there's no tape in the machine. You're actually recording on a, on a type of instrument that will digitally record, and there's actually no physical recording of your record. It's really amazing the way modern technology is. It's kind of like this. I've got this uh, device here. It'll cut your tree right down. All I've got to do is point it at it and boom, and it's down. But it's really not a tree cutter, but it cuts the tree. So we've had uh, a bit of a feud going with Greg the Hammer Valentine and Ronnie Garvin. So, of course, they're on opposite sides. Macho King coming down here. This is my favorite version of the Macho Man because, uh, and I know a lot of people are going to say that's bullshit, but this era of macho man is when I really became a fan, the macho King version. So, you know, there's a childhood favorite there for me, but there's no sedan. Of course, we've, we've learned that you guys used to call the big chair when macho King would be carried to the ring. You guys nicknamed it the sedan. How do you guys decide sedan or no sedan? 
a lot of times the building would dictate that uh, on the clearance and where we had to set up. In this particular night, it just was with all those guys and all those entrances, probably more than anything for time. Get them down there and you don't have to get the sedan in and out and all that bullshit. This, uh, this match is going to be pretty important. I love those macho King tights because there's, uh, there's a moment with Bret Hart that really sticks out to Bret. His first, uh, vivid memory of the survivor series is this one, 1989. And he says, I still remember the moment at the Rosemont horizon with Randy Savage. When we finally tagged in at the exact same time, me and macho, there was this unexpected, huge pop from the crowd. We could feel it when we got in the ring together and we looked at each other and thought, why aren't we wrestling each other more often? Why aren't we doing business with each other? We wanted to wrestle each other in a storyline. And I remember after that match was over, macho grabbed me by the wrist, took me to Vince McMahon and said, I want to wrestle him. And Vince said to us, it'll happen one of these days. The thing about that survivor series match that people don't remember is I had fractured my sternum three weeks before that was the Dino Bravo injury. It was hard for me to move around in that match, but at the end of the match, macho dropped a big elbow on me from the top. And that was a pretty hard, painful elbow off the top. My ribs were just killing me, but it's cool to hear from his perspective that this was like a, uh, Hey, wait a minute. There might be something to this moment. So when you sort of explained, well, the reason we split them up is we wanted to try something different. Did that benefit anybody more than Bret Hart ever in history, splitting them up for a tag like this for a survivor series? Cause he's off to the races. Not too terribly long after this. I think so. And, and I think that, you know, it's an opportunity. You always go back and you look at different, different moments in time, if you will. And I can, I can remember specific moments in time where a reaction from the audience was like, holy shit. You know, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming where you have an entrance for somebody. And, and a lot of times it, it, it is in a big group when someone surprises you with the type of reaction that they get above and beyond everybody else out there with them or what they don't get. Sometimes, you know, I go, I go back to the diesel spot when we just had a spot in the Royal rumble for diesel to eliminate a bunch of people. We didn't really anticipate the type of reaction that that would get when we first did it. Right. We thought this is a cool spot. This will make him a monster, but I don't think we really anticipated the holy shit um, how badly they wanted that at that point, we, we, we were going slow build and the audience was going to give him to me. Now, a lot of light blue in this, uh, yeah, I was just thinking the match. same thing. Like Tony Schiavone has told us that, uh, the first person he heard really rant about that was Jimmy Hart, that, you know, you needed opposing colors. So if, if, if two guys are wrestling, you need one guy like colored trunks, one guy dark or something, but you just need some sort of variance. And here comes a big finish from, well, oh, the earthquake. Um, anybody ever complain about taking that finish from Tenta? Oh my God. It was like a feather. 
Like a feather. Well, but he is teabagging you. Well, but he's Canadian. Oh, okay. Canadian teabags are fine. I forget. Yeah. I appreciate you educating me. You've been on the road longer than I, and you know, you, you've got more, uh, international experience. Absolutely. And I, I'll be honest. I've never had Canadian flavored teabags. So, See? but you have your teabag connoisseur as we all know. Uh, no, I just, I've heard Ronnie Garvin. There, there's two Canadians going at it right there. One East, one West. It's the East-West collision right here. You're definitely a little ahead of me. Give everybody the time code. I'll try to play catch up. Oh, shit. Um, I'm at uh, 4136, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41. Did you catch up with me? I think. You know, Bravo just swatted at Bret Hart. Ha, ha, ha. Where are you at now? Okay, I'm at 4153, 54. Yeah, yeah, I'm right on it now. All right. It's always weird to me how you get ahead. I'm just faster. Yeah, I can tell. You know. We should mention this uh, this card here. 15,294 fans in the Rosemont Horizon. That's uh, That's a lot, bro. It is. Let's talk a little bit about some news and notes as we head into this. Uh, I guess first we should just talk about the building. You guys just did survivor series at, um, Rosemont, which is what you're going to stick with calling it from now on roll tide. Why was this such a company favorite all these years? Chicago was top five market and Chicago was, um, always responsive and receptive to the product. So they loved it. We loved them always supported it. It just was the audience was, it was a great audience always has been. So the building itself, the way that it's built, the, the sides go straight up. So it looks great for television. Plus it's got a lower ceiling that you hear everything. And it feels like the audience is right on top of you and there. It's just louder than other buildings. So it's, a great, great building to perform in. I see the Macho Man. What do you think about the Macho Man style of punching? It's way different. It is. Everything about Randy was different. That was, that was by design because Randy looked at it and, and saw how one thing his dad always taught him was be unique, be different. So Randy would take whatever he did and what everybody else did and didn't want to look the same. So he adapted his own way of doing things, his punches, his kicks, just the way Randy moved in the ring was different. And that made him unique and made him stand out away from the pack. Oh, Greg Valentine's out. There's a knee in the back. That was a little snug knee too. Look at these damn karate chops. I helped teach Dino that because I'm karate man, three-time black belt Hall of Fame. You ever have any cigarettes with Dino Bravo? No. I don't smoke. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've seen you smoke a lot of stuff. Well, you know. Ribs, sausages. Brisket. Briskets. Briskets. <laughs> 
Folks, we spent too much time together, okay? We did. We did. I mean, uh Turkeys. I had a a friend of ours in the Brother Love Shack upstairs over the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. That's unfair. Yeah. They uh they really enjoyed it. I said they they enjoyed what what you'd done with the place. That's not cool, man. That, that's my place. Was you quit coming? Remember? Yeah, but you know what? You should hold it in memoriam. Hey, are you coming to No Holds Bar Christmas? The rumor in innuendo. I know you're busy on Friday nights now, but the rumor in innuendo is that you could make it on Saturday. Shavanto, you know my little get together here at the house. No, I'll be in uh, in you, Milwaukee. You can make. I can't make it because I can't make it out of there and back. You live in on top of a giant mountain. It takes three days to get up the, to the top of the mountain where the mansion is. And then it takes like an hour and a half to get through your security and through all the servants' quarters and everything before we get to the main living quarters. Who the fuck thought this stomp finish thing was a good idea? Well, if you've ever been stomped by Ronnie Garvin, you would understand but the idea that it's not just one stomp, it's several stomps. Yeah. All you got to stomp the whole body. <laughs> First one stuns you. <laughs> the next 18 do all the here real damage. Hang on. Here we go. Listen to the crowd. Oh, yeah. Looks like Savage doesn't want any part of him. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, let's think about it for a minute. Dude, the crowd, I thought Brett may have been embellishing, but they went nuts when it was Brett. And Savage, they see Brett as a, as a, as a top guy, as a single star already. Yeah. And Brett looks like a star. He's tan. Oh, Jesus. Calm down. Eric. Okay. Bishop. Hang on. Take a look at him. Is he not tan? I don't know. I'm colorblind. Is Savage not tan? Colorblind. Well, they're tan. Thank you. Maybe that's why you thought that Sting was okay because you're colorblind. But those of us that can see. Okay, you got Dino Bravo, who's not tan, and Bret Hart, who's tan, who looks like the star. And then you got Duggan, but he's from Glens Falls, New York, so you kind of expect it. He shouldn't be tan. We should mention, uh, Meltzer would write about this injury. He says, Bret Hart was hospitalized after Sunday night's card in Toronto when he took the guardrail wrong in a match with Dino Bravo. He had to be stretchered out of the building and spent the night in a Toronto hospital before being flown home on Monday to Calgary. The Toronto newspapers reported a ruptured spleen, but I'm told that report was incorrect. And he's got badly bruised ribs, but is in pretty severe pain. Wow. That's ironic. Meltzer talking about somebody else, bad and inaccurate reporting. Boy, can we, can we talk about him ever and you not get fired up or is that just not possible? Well, if, if he ever reported something, honestly, probably. Well, he reported that you had a five-star penis once. Well, I'm sure he would like to know, but since he's never seen it, he wouldn't know. And so therefore he's a liar. He talked to somebody who was there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because he never would be there and he just wishes he would. So that's all he can do is write about it. I feel like I want to do something fun with you. You want to do something fun? What do you want to do fun, Connie? It's called the Dirty Game Room, and it's only on YouTube. Just search for the Dirty Game Room 
or go I to youtube.com forward slash the dirty game room and click subscribe. Uh, Mark Allen is the creator of the dirty game room and he has one main goal in life. And, and I can't believe this is real, but this, this is his main goal in life. And I quote, make funny and informative videos. You can watch while holding your phone as you take a shit. And, and Conrad, you know, you're always looking for something to do while you're sitting there. Well, cause here's the thing, you and I've talked about our love of washlets on our toilets and we get heated water and we get heated seats and we get our buttholes oscillated and pulsated clean. And now we've got something to watch. We're talking about the dirty game room and their YouTube channel features reviews on all things from the late eighties to the early nineties, whether it's, you know, video games or wrestling, anything funny and entertaining. Uh, but the focus is always going to be video games and wrestling and reviews are like, were there two ultimate warriors and Jake, the snake and Rick Martell's blindfold match or funny botch videos or retro gaming videos like battle toads or ninja Gaiden or turtles in time, all that kind of stuff. And the show also hits on all the popular TV shows and movies at the time, like airwolf. And of course the Terminator franchise, the only place to find these videos. The next time you're taking a shit is youtube.com forward slash the dirty game room, the dirty game room, funny and informative videos. You can watch while holding your phone. As you take a shit subscribe today. What's our life become? <laughs> Listen, dude. You, you hey, were... hang on. And, and when I say that, because as soon as I saw it come through, it made me need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Where's the Pavlovian? Like, we want to. Well, I want to see if this really works. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, folks. Next time you need to take a shit, entertain yourself. How much fecal matter do you think's on your phone? Especially after some of the TV we've seen. Did you just say finkel matter? Fecal? I thought, oh. I thought that was like scientific for doo-doo. Am I wrong? Yeah. Fecal matter. That's yeah. That's like poo poo. Okay. Well, see, I don't touch anything that like would have anything on it. That was a joke about the ideas you write for TV being shitty. That's not funny. <laughs> nothing funny about that it's not even clever oh my god i'm trying to bust my friend's balls okay yeah that hurts conrad no it doesn't yeah i got feelings man and especially during the holidays when i'm sad and i get melancholy after turkey and the endorphins (laughs) metabolically work within my um what's that shit called let me give you an out i uh I, i had the most bruce pritchard line ever the other night Megan and I were up late watching something and I forget exactly what it was, but it was well past when we would normally go to bed. It's like, I don't know, one thirty in the morning. And she says, boo, it's one, it's almost two o'clock or, you know, it's pretty late. Don't we need to go to bed for work tomorrow? <laughs> and I said, I stay up late during the holiday season. Everybody knows that. And I don't know why, but it was the most Bruce Pritchard thing I've ever said. And it tickled me. <laughs> I was like, that's some deadpan Bruce Pritchard bullshit right there. I hope she said that exactly. She just rolled her eyes and said, good night, Bruce. Left me to oh, watch. She's Survivors. thinking of me. Oh, she thinks about you every time she's taking a shit. 
I'm glad I'm being thought of. Dude, I miss Earthquake. What do you think? Yeah, I do too. And, I, and, I, and it was just, I was so sad uh, because, you know, this is a sad story, but it was also a, a kind of a good story. John used to go to MD Anderson uh, in his final days, in his final years. And that's where my wife went uh, as well. And I used to go and when she would go in for tests and things and you're, you're at the hospital and there's not a whole lot to do um, except read and do shit because your phone doesn't work in the hospital, uh, at least at MD Anderson, except if you're by the windows. So I would always go take a walk and to make a, a really depressing place, it was so great the first time that I saw John. And it, it, he was in a bad place and he was not feeling well. But the smile on his face and the smile on my face, it, it was we hugged. And this is how weird that community is when, when you're going through it. Um, we exchanged appointment times. So I saw when he was going to be there for treatment, and when my wife was going to be there for treatment. So I could always go by and see him and just say hello and vice versa. He would make his way over to where my wife was to see if I was sitting in the waiting room and we would visit. And um, I got to share time with him right up until his passing and a nicer man there wasn't. Man, we just went from talking about taking a shit, telling uh, a real life story. Yeah, but I mean, he was just, he, you know, big, big guy and just his smile would light up a room and it was really, really unfortunate. I, I was so sad that, uh, uh, he succumbed to cancer, but, um, it, it, he, he did it with a smile on his face and he fought all the way. And, uh, I, I'm just fortunate. I got to spend that time, you know, with him in, in, in a very, you know, fucked up fucked up time, but it was, we made the best of it and he helped me get through my shit. And I hope I helped him in some way, just be able to, to talk about the fun times and in this kind of shit. And you run out of time with Dino Bravo an ultimate warrior. And he would just laugh his ass off. Cause his voice was so fucking deep. And, hey, and the here, first time here comes the, the here we go. That hurt him. Here we go. Remember, Brett has a uh, fractured sternum. Oh, couldn't have felt good. And there's your finish. Bret Hart has been eliminated. Man, it was pretty cool to see, you know, now that we have the benefit of knowing what, what Brett thought. Yeah, Brett's moving a little slow out there. Look, Duggan can keep his eye on all three of those guys without even moving his head. Yeah, so it's three on one now. Savage Earthquake and Dino Bravo. And I think Sherry is going to distract Duggan. And Duggan's going to get himself counted out. So your three survivors for the heel team will be Macho Man, Dino Bravo, and Earthquake. And we know that Earthquake's getting tuned up. Man, who would have predicted the success that Earthquake would have? Tell everybody, remind everybody the interesting way his character was introduced. Oh, it was great because Dino Bravo was talking about, you know, how strong he was and doing push-ups in the ring and invited someone from the crowd out to come and sit on his back. And they picked 
Big John from the crowd. And Tenta came out, and Bravo was able to do the push-ups, and then he challenged the Ultimate Warrior to do the same with Tenta on his back, and that's when Tenta squashed the Ultimate Warrior and uh, did a wonderful number on. That's where we came up with that big earthquake splash. All that weight coming down on his chest because Tenta was another big man that could actually move. And it was very impressive to see that size moving as quickly as he did. It was always impressive to see Sherry Martell because shit. She was the queen. Barry Wyndham is uh, going to make the news here. He's working as the Widowmaker character for the company, and he's going to have an operation around this time to remove a tumor underneath his breastbone. Said to be back in a few weeks. What do you remember about uh, Barry needing a little surgery here? It just was, you know, I think it was a nagging injury, and it was it was something that he th- well that he thought was a nagging injury, and it was it was just a a bump, a growth, uh, nothing, nothing life threatening or anything like that. But it was enough that it, it hurt him that he had to go get it checked out by a doctor and just went in, got it done and felt better after that. It was not a big deal. Thank God. Um, but he went in to get checked out to make sure that it wasn't anything more than a abnormal growth. And it was out just a little bit, but it was, Kind of a start and stop with the Widowmaker, the bull of the wood, if you will. That's what I told him. I gave him that line. The uh, report in the Observer is the WWF has just about made the decision that WrestleMania will be in the Sky Dome in Toronto on April 1st, 1990. I'm told it's not official, but a virtual certainty at this point. If the show isn't held in Toronto, then it would almost surely be held at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, which is going to hold 90,000 for wrestling. Um, of course, longtime fans remember that, uh, the LA Coliseum would win the opportunity to host WrestleMania. It would be the following year, WrestleMania seven. Of course, ultimately it's transferred to the arena instead. How, how close was the Coliseum to getting it here for 1990? Pretty close. And it was, you know, it was nip and tuck there for a while because just, uh, both Toronto and LA. And this was also during a time where, Hey, there, there were cities starting to bid and they're not bid as much as really, they really wanted WrestleMania in their buildings. The Coliseum made an attractive offer at the same time, Toronto, which was always hot for us, had this new beautiful Sky Dome. So the the idea about running an outdoor arena in L.A., although running outdoor in L.A. in March or April is not that risky, versus running a brand-new retractable dome stadium uh, internationally in Toronto, that, that was pretty damn attractive. So Toronto won out. Obviously, uh, the next year, Los Angeles won out. And I think that Vince always looked at Los Angeles as I think he finally accomplished it with Dallas and Jerry Jones Stadium there. But he always wanted to do that over 100,000. And we were looking at 107,000 in Los Angeles at the time. 
to set another record. And that he, he was like, no, nah, we, we got to make sure everything's right. And it just was a little more attractive to run the new building in Toronto. Newer. When you're, uh, when you get a chance, throw it in your Google machine, because there is a video out there that the Coliseum made trying to court the WWF to bring WrestleMania there, which is just fascinating to look at that they that they made big presentations, you know? Yeah, we went and they set up a ring on the 50 yard line and we, we walked in and they had the announcers welcome to WrestleMania and had this video for us presentation up on the scoreboard. And from there we went in and we had lunch and met with, you know, the mayor of Los Angeles was there and all the dignitaries telling us how they wanted us to host WrestleMania in their city. It was pretty damn cool. As a matter of fact, and I remember Vince and I walking up to the very top seat in the stadium, uh, the furthest seat away from the center and sit in those seats just to see, okay, this is the worst seat in the house. And you get a feel for that. And then you, you feel for everything else and you go sit in each section, uh, area of the stadium from, from that point down and kind of get a feel for what the audience is gonna feel. Um, so that was, I was blowed up. I tell you that hot as fuck when we went there that day. Well, here you see the million dollar man easing into the ring powers of pain, Mr. Fuji Zeus all in tow. Of course, we're just, uh, shortly removed from no holds barred. And, uh, we've got quite the team coming to face these guys. Our heroes are going to be Hulk Hogan, um, demolition and Jake, the snake Roberts. And, uh, man, there's some interesting stuff to talk about here, but I think if the formula for pay-per-view with this company is right, we're probably going to see a Hulk Hogan promo in just a second. Aren't we? I sure as hell hope so. I love the powers of pain, uh, haircut. It's just opposite. Yeah. Well, well it's fun. But imagine walking through an airport. Well, about, they wore they wore do rags. No, how about no promo and the fans go crazy? I'm gonna just play the audio here. How about the size of the snake in that bag, bro? Yeah, that's nothing compared to the size of the snake that they wanted to bring out. And it was about a 20 foot Python. No, it had to be bigger than that. Um, this giant Python that these five guys tried to like carry the head was bigger than anybody, any man's head. Okay. And this thing did not want to be held in any way, shape or form. And it was in a, had to be moved by a, a forklift in a giant crate. All right. Hang on. Let's, let's set the stage. I feel like we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So we see the, uh, the immortal Hulk Hogan coming to the ring here. He's got three tag partners here, demolition and Jake, the snake Roberts. Jake was out first, huge ovation. He's over like Rover. 
And so since, you know, he's getting separate entrances and his own theme music and Jake is really connecting with the audience. Maybe it makes sense for us to, instead of just having Jake bring a snake to the ring, what if we got one fucking gigantic snake and it took four guys to bring it to the ring? So you guys reach out and find your snake handler. Remind everybody about this fellow. Yeah. He only had like about three fingers and, uh, could see about 20% out of one eye and shit like that. So he's a real good snake handler by God. But what's his name, his background? What did he do for the company? Chat his me. name was Albert. He was, um, he hunted snakes and crocodiles and gators and shit like that. Whenever there'd be a flood in Florida, he'd be the first one there trying to, you know, go find snakes and shit because that's when they would all come out. And yeah, he was crazy. It was crazy to say the least. But imagine a, a snake that spread that was bigger than that ring all the way across with those four guys trying to hold it and it didn't want to be held. I mean, Oh my God, it was moving them. And those are some big boys in there, but then they, you know, they just didn't want to have anything to do with that. Jake's looking at the head of the thing and saying, how am I supposed to control it? He had both hands around it and couldn't, couldn't control it at all. So and he, it did not want to go back in the crate. How does it, how does the snake get transported there? In a gigantic, uh, wooden crate, big wooden crate. So then when it, it, it's time, Albert, you know, they brought it in cause you couldn't lift it. <coughs> so you had to bring it in on a forklift and brought it in and then they opened up the, opened up the crate and opened up the crate and the snake came out and he was able to wrangle it and, you know, get it spread out. He had a couple other handlers there with him and they got it spread out. And then it was like, okay, all you gotta do is pick it up like this. Said, we'll, we'll show us then big boy. Cause Albert was a little fella and he couldn't do it. He says, well, I mean, you know, maybe you guys can. And they tried and it was just so damn big. So you, you got to imagine there's four guys there. You got five feet of snake in between each of them and a big snake that if you hold your arm out, the snake, you couldn't like get your arm all the way around it. It was, um, it was intimidating to say the least, and it did not work. And we quickly scrapped that motherfucker. Oh, here we go. The match. This this is money right here. This is only the second match they're having, right? This is before the Why Have a Merry Christmas when you can have a no holds barred Christmas. Yeah, that's the following month. This is after uh, Tiny had given up on growing the Z out and just, just did. shoe polishing. That's not shoe polish. What is it? Mascara? Sharpie. Oh my God. Is he, uh, is he drawing in the rest of the unibrow too? Yes, absolutely. And then sometimes it got really high and, and, uh, wide. Sometimes it was just so, so. Well, sometimes around slow, sometimes around quick. 
you know. How, Sometimes uh, you just don't sell shit. It's fixing to say. How easy was it to be Zeus? Hey man, we just need you to stand there. Well, big slam. I'm gonna pick you up one time, just push off of my femur. Just jump right back up. You okay. know what I just realized? What's that? They sent Goldberg to the Zeus School of Wrestling. Uh, if he starts selling in a little while and starts shaking his <gasps> head. Oh God, he just broke Hulk Hogan. Oh my God. Hogan's dead. I've seen enough ninja movies. I know what happened. Dude, that, well, he's still moving. Only a Hulkster could do. He, he probably uh, doesn't know he's dead yet. It's like chicken with the head cut off gimmick. Yeah, that's true. Zeus just shoves the referee. You're not going to get away with that, Pally. Yeah. Wh- why is that not a DQ? I, I would DQ him now. Earl, he counted to five. Look at him. He's, he's, you see, you got to cover his eyes up oh, twice. Do some referee. There you go. You're out of here, pal. Oh yeah. Get him out of here. Ah, oh, come on, Zeus. Even his own tag team partners are saying enough. Yeah, you got millions of dollars, Diviasi. Yeah, we know. <laughs> we know. Your Lance Russell is your favorite now. He's got the cash. Yeah, you'll get it in the back. Go on. Yes, the international sign. I'm a million dollar man. I got money. Let me move my fingers, Ted. Yeah. Go on. Your Z's coming off, pal. I thought that shit was permanent markers, man. And I'm, and I'm being serious here. People think I'm fucking playing ha-ha. But I always wanted to do the the Z in white. And like when he had his hair, I wanted to bleach it white so it would pop off of his head. He didn't like that idea. No, he didn't. Yeah. Nobody did. I thought, well, fuck. You know, you, you make it white or almost silver. Uh, it would match his, it would match his trunks and all that shit. And I just was like, well, I mean, it'd be different. Do his eyebrows. And I was like, no, it's not what we did in the movie. I said, yeah, but still it'd be cooler. Here in 1989, is, is Hogan using his own dressing room? Or is he dressing with everybody else? No, he dressed with everybody else. When do you remember separate dressing rooms becoming a thing? Not until after he left. I don't mean Hogan. I just mean in wrestling period. Not until after Hogan left. So, so who would have been the first guy? Probably Hulk and WCW and people, you know, talking about that and um, you know, there were, there was always, you know, guys that, that kind of separated themselves from the pack at, at times. Warrior did, um, Randy did, but Rand, you know, Randy did, if, if there was a place for him and Liz to dress privately. Um, so there was a reason for it. It wasn't a prima donna thing by any stretch of the imagination. And you know, go back. Yeah, there weren't, there weren't, you know, we had, 
even until many, many years later, did you announcers got a separate dressing room? So they weren't in with the boys. Um, but even that was, was few and far between back in the day. What would you say about, I mean, how would you describe demolition again to a non wrestling fan? Two badass monsters. All right. What, what's That's what your, they were. Uh, I mean, they were scary. Talk to me about Axe covering himself in glitter. He's not covered in glitter. The glitter, the glitter shine comes from the the shit on his trunks. No, he's like coating himself in something. Ah. You think so? Yeah. What, what, what did the guys used to put on their body to like make their, their shit pop and hot stuff. Yeah. 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 I, I bet he's got some hot stuff on. I bet he does too. Look, at, Look at him. I love that Jake was on the apron doing his best, uh, sand down. <laughs> yeah. No wasted motion out of Jake, by God. No, he is captain. Less is more. And that's important. Let's talk about something that we wish was maybe a little less. Meltzer would write, supposedly Coco Beware will be back early next year after being fired in Europe. Apparently Jim Troy, Titan VP in charge of international affairs and lying on pay-per-view buy rates was the instigator of their fight in Brussels. Troy officially resigned from the company in order to work more in boxing, though he's still working at the same office and still a consultant to Titan. Later, David Wright and Bojack was announced as the new vice president of international and pay-per-view operations for Titan Sports, replacing Jim Troy. He resigned after his brawl with Coco Ware in Europe. According to Titan's press release, Troy left to pursue opportunities as an independent consultant for pay-per-view and international television sales. I got to tell you, we haven't talked a lot about Jim Troy, but whenever I hear his name, it's always with the fight. What can you reference to us about just Jim Troy, the person? Jim was a hockey goon. Jim was, um, a semi-pro, uh, hockey player that was a goon guy that used to get sent in to go get in fights with the other team. And try and get their, you know, their best players thrown out for fighting and things like that. Uh, Jim was part of the Cape Cod hockey team that Vince had bought when he bought the Cape Cod Coliseum when Vince was first starting out. And Troy had some international connections; had always been involved in boxing promotion and things of that nature. So he and Vince had worked together and. Jim was the first one to go out and start making deals internationally for the company for tape distribution, live events, um, everything international. That was, that was Jim Troy in the early years. And Jim, you know, obviously fucked up with the fight with Coco and it was, uh, it was just kind of a bad scene all the way around, but he, you know, this time, yeah, he, he quote resigned, um, but afterwards, you, you, I don't think he really had any choice at that point. I don't think he wanted to be around. I saw him in the office when he came back from Europe and his face was a mess. 
So I think that he, I don't even think he wanted to hear if he was fired or anything else. I think he saw the writing on the wall and came in and resigned, was done. Wow. But he, he did, you know, he had uh, relationships with all the pay-per-view companies and he was also our pay-per-view guy. So Jimmy was able to take that expertise and, and take those connections to the boxing world where he was also very well connected. Jim and Basil DeVito were instrumental in Trump Plaza and Atlantic City. And so Jim started working with a lot of those guys and just working as a consultant with the boxing world. Um, but he did not, uh, whatever he said in there about Jim continued office in the same building. Uh, he did not, he had his own office. He had an office in his house and then had an office in New York. What can you tell us about the, um, Coco beware return? You know, obviously Coco is in a fight here and, you know, I, according to the legend, there was a lot of alcohol involved and, you know, guys sometimes do or say stupid things. Obviously that happened here. There were some hurt feelings. It was a brutal fight and, you know, Coco's going to have to pay the price for some of that because you're not supposed to behave like this, no matter what, even though a lot of people would, would sort of side with him on this, it's not a good spot to be in. He's going to go home and then you guys decide, okay, you, he, he's been in timeout enough and we, we'll bring him back now. Essentially. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, I don't care if alcohol's the, the culprit or not. It was allegedly a really horrible scene. And, and I had, uh, well, go ahead I and had, catch everybody up. I mean, some of, some of our listeners have no idea what we're talking about because we're talking about it in code so much. Well, no, uh, several of the boys had been out and I think that they were in Paris or something like that. I, I don't even remember what city or France somewhere. I don't, don't really know, but, uh, everybody had been out and drinking heavily and Jim was talking about what a tough guy he was in the hockey world and that, you know, his fights were real, not like, you know, you, you fake wrestler guys and, and, uh, made some disparaging comments to Coco beware about his size and just kind of laughing Coco off because it's like, oh, you little guy, you know, the, the fake wrestlers, what I did was real and Coco had just about enough of it. So Coco's like, Hey man, you want to find out how real I am? I'll be happy to, to show you how real I am. And I, nothing happened at the restaurant, but when they got back to the, hotel it it exploded and they went all through the lobby of this really nice hotel fighting and coco finally they got him separated but jim troy was about six six two six three big guy um and coco's five nine maybe and coco from everything I heard, I was not there. So this is all hearsay and rumor and innuendo. Uh, but I'd always heard that Coco man more than held his own and, and probably got the better of Jimmy. And, and they were both, both had had a lot to drink. Jim definitely more than anybody else there. And when I saw Jimmy 
when he came into the office after that flight, his, his face was pretty messed up. Coco's wasn't, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Coco called Vince right away and apologized and, and just said, Hey, I had to, I had to defend myself. I had to do it. He's like, you can't, you can't be getting in fights like that on the road. And, and it's just unprofessional. So did you hear the rumor that, uh, maybe Troy used uh, a racial slur and that took it to another level for Coco? I'd heard the rumor, but again, I don't know. I wasn't there. I do know, you know, from the consistent was the story of just Jimmy bragging about how tough he was and constantly putting the business down, but I could see where that would definitely be a last straw and push somebody over the edge. Allegedly. Uh, the room they're in, I mean, it's got blood sprayed up the walls and I mean, there was beer bottles and it was a, it was a bad scene. Is that what you heard? Yeah. I was pretty bad scene. It, uh, went, went throughout the lobby and, and not a good scene in any way, shape or form. What's Vince do in a, in a spot like that? Does he hope it just works itself out or does he feel like he's got, I mean, obviously oh, no. he, he sent them both home on the spot. Uh, as soon as he found out about it and got them on separate flights, just to get them both out, out now, send them both home. I'll talk to him when they get here. And he told Coco, I was actually in the room when he told Coco, they had Coco at the building and, and said, you know, get him on the phone. So, um, had someone get, you know, get a hold of Troy and said, yeah, tell him, Get his shit and go home. Come home. Come see me when he gets here. And that was it. You know, and he he dealt with it. And told him he goes, I can't, can't tolerate that. So that was a weird. That was a weird trip. I I had left. Uh, we had done TV over there, and I bolted right after TV. Came back and. <laughs> I go into Vince's to kind of debrief him on, on TV and everything. And right then he's like, what the hell happened here? I hadn't heard about it. So I heard about it kind of right as all the news was coming into the office. So not a good look, very unfortunate situation. Very unfortunate. Indeed. Also not a good look is Mr. Fuji's, uh, painting around his eyes. You don't like that? No, he didn't either. He, his face would break out and that's why he, he wanted to get away from the powers of pain because his face would break out from the paint. He looks like a, uh, a trash panda. A what? A trash panda. What's a trash panda? A raccoon. What? That's the name of our new uh, minor league baseball mascot here in Huntsville. Trash Panda? Yeah, the Trash Pandas. What's wrong with that, buddy? I'm not I'm not lying. Go look up uh Rocket City Trash Pandas. It's a real thing. You'll love the well, logo. I mean, I think you'll want this logo tattooed on on your back or something. I have no tattoos, Conrad. I know, but you might make an exception for this one. It's pretty fire. 
would they make the would they make the uh, drive up the mountain and go into the my wing of the house, the mansion, and do it there? Oh yeah, I could do that. I don't know that you know this, but Clint I mean, from- you've got the tattoo room in the house now. Yeah, Claire from Hershey is a an amateur tattooist. He could do it for you. Well, I, I'm actually a professional. I got tipped once, Conrad. Oh, there you go. I hey. saved money by not sterilizing my needles. <laughs> so uh, Hulk Hogan. But I only do it. I only do purple ink. Cleaning house here. Barbarian's about to get it. Tommy Young style. Ah. Uh-uh. Help me Double under- elbows. Help me understand. In this era, Survivor Series match, your tag team partners being covered for the pin. Normally, in any regular tag match, you're going to jump in and break it up. But in a Survivor Series match, you just stand there like a fucking goof. No, because if you did that, every single every single false finish would be a cluster. I'm aware, but I'm saying why do it in the other matches, but not these. Sh- I don't like doing it in the other matches either. But they did. But they're wrong. Well, why don't you go tell them how to do it? We did. But they didn't listen. No. And, and- I want it changed right now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you could say, hey, we're not doing this on SmackDown. Just a freestyling. Well, you know what? Oh, no. Ah, oh, come on, guys. That's not fair. Stuff pile driver on the Hulkster. What? They dehued them both. Because oh, of the yeah. Pile yeah. Get them out. Good call, Earl Hebner. I can't believe they're doing this. This is not yeah, fair. You're on your own, DiBiase. How much money is this going to cost you, huh? Man, we're down to what's, what's certainly a main event anywhere in the world. Hulk Hogan and the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. And Jack the snack. Well, he's there too. Yeah. He'd be a main event anywhere in the world. I'm just saying how about the mid South influence here with DiBiase and your boy. Jakey. Well, you know, they worked other places. Sorry. Just trying to make conversation with you. That's what I do here on the show. And one of the things I've wanted to ask you about was why you moved away from the survivor series being on fucking Thanksgiving because it was on Thanksgiving and like what? 87, 88, 89, 90, but 91. It goes down on Thanksgiving Eve instead. Of course, that's when the undertaker would beat, uh, Hulk Hogan for the world championship, but chat me up. Why the decision to move away from Thanksgiving and instead do it Thanksgiving Eve. Cause all of our other pay-per-views were on Sunday and the feeling was that, you know, Thanksgiving was one way to start the deal. It was a big day in the wrestling business for many years. And we thought we'd capitalize on that, but then is it wasn't necessarily a a big day for pay-per-view and traditionally all of our other pay-per-views were on Sunday. Thought, well, why in the fuck isn't survivor series on Sunday? Because it was the Thanksgiving day tradition. Then it became the Thanksgiving Eve tradition. And then it was just like, just make it survivor series. 
and make it uniform like every other pay-per-view. Every other WWE pay-per-view was on Sunday when Survivor Series. Oh, well, this one's going to be on Thanksgiving Eve. And it just didn't make a whole lot of sense in the big picture. So the decision was made to change it up. Fine. Huh? I said fine. Don't get hot. Not. Why are you hot? Actually, I kind of am. I'm going to turn the air conditioning on. Oh, fuck you. What? It's like 32 degrees here. It's warm here. Just in your home or your mansion? Silva was driving with the top down yesterday. Yeah, but Silva always drives with the top down. I mean, that's just him. That's kind of rude to say. What? Silva was driving with the top down. He was. Well, he can't. He can't fit in with the top up. Oh dear. Oh come on, Bruce. What? That's mean. But it's true. No, it's and not. His dog shits in the mansion. His dog has not been back to the Conradison. I was low key ribbing on the square here on the show about how his dog managed to find a way to shit on top of his own ass. And that dog has not been back. He is here for Thanksgiving though, by the way, the, the whole silver clan is. Are you, what are you having? Are you, are you going to do the tamale? Thanks. Is tamales for Thanksgiving or for Christmas? I don't know. How would I know? Actually, no, I think they're for Thanksgiving, man. I, because I'm from the South, man. And you always get your tamales. I think they're for Christmas, but this is, this is crazy. I had a, a friend of mine, uh, Vietnamese literally came over as a refugee uh, on the boat in the 70s. Um, built, a, built a business and had a little uh, restaurant, Red Top, in Friendswood. He used to make, okay, so my Vietnamese friend who owns a hamburger place made turkey tamales which were some of the most insane, great things I've ever had in my life. So I hope silver brings over and will enlighten the Thompson clan to homemade tamales. You'll, it'll change your life. Let me assure you. He ain't doing that. Why? Cause that's just not what he does. So you're not having tamales for Thanksgiving. No, that's really strange. I think his wife is bringing a ham. Boring. We're eating. Uh, I love you for that. We're eating in like an hour. Boring. No tamales, dude. Have you been listening to Twenty One Savage? Who'd that be? Come on now. It just got eliminated a while ago. <laughs> well, you said boring, and I was like, wait a minute. I was kind of proud of you. There's a great line in here. I'm gonna let you hear on the show. I think you'll love it on what show, you know, this, this, this is a, this is a show we're doing right now about wrestling or whatever. You mean surviving series Yes. from 1989. That was a three. That was a three. Huh? Uh, Earl Hebner in a slow count. Huh. You know, for the whole, for the whole damn match, we, uh, here you go. Here's, here's, saw Virgil. here's the reason I thought you, you were doing boring. I had a threesome, then I flushed the rubber down the toilet. She tried to give me head, it was boring. Cold. <laughs> you said boring the same way, and I was like, wait a minute. 
Sí, no, va a estar solo. Fetish Shades of Grey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you see, you're a little behind on your hip hop culture since you've uh, moved away and not come back to visit. I'm way behind on my hip hop culture. Yeah, you're still singing a song from like three years ago from Lil Yachty, and nobody's singing Lil Yachty. In That's current to me. Yeah, we can do better. Oh, hell. Anyway, I thought you would like that. Yes, folks. Double down. How about the double clothesline spot? That's old school. You know what it is. Tom, you can't. You notice the young referee on the outside of the ring opposite uh, the entrance? Is that, uh, who is that? Oh my God, it's Shane McMahon. There you go. How about that? Dude. Keeping law and order on the outside of the ring. It's right babe. Good I, God, how old is he here? Maybe 18, 19. I just saw the dark hair. And I just assumed it was Gina's kid. Nope. Shane O'Mac. And here he comes. Hogan ain't putting up with no shit. Oh yeah. Turn around, Ted. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's one for you. There's three. Yeah. Hit the ropes and eat this boot, Pally. Big leg. This is all she wrote. Come on, Virgil. Where are you now? Virgil's a shitty bodyguard. I love the, uh, the routine of the Hulk up. He skipped the block a punch thing, but Ted didn't throw one, but it's usually Hulk up block a punch, three punches into the ropes, big boot leg drop. One, two, three. I know that, you know, people have been critical of routines, but I like that routine. Yeah, because it worked. You knew what was coming. My God. Is that your favorite championship right there? Uh, if that's, yeah, I think that's dual plated. Uh, yeah. That's the best one ever made. That very one. Yeah. I would love to have that particular belt. Well, by God, we'll go get it from him. Well, he, he doesn't have it. Hey. Uh, you want to know what, what just happened, uh, here in my home? No, but I, I hear somebody hollering in the background. How about a yellow chair in my home? No, on the screen. We're watching a show here about professional wrestling or whatever. Well, it was from the Rosemont horizon. I'm just saying it's a yellow chair. They need a red one too. They got to coordinate for Hulkster. Oh, okay. So like what, what happened? That's right. Shane McMahon. Get in there. Uh, a shell nut arrived. I, oh, God damn. We, we may have an appearance today on this show by John Paul Shellnut. By the way, if you're not a longtime listener of the show, John Paul Shellnut is one of the most interesting characters in the history of characters. He, uh, is a real life, great friend of many, many celebrities and nobody knows why. And he finds himself in all these weird circumstances including being Bruce Pritchard's friend, but he talks like a character from King of the Hill or oh, oh, dang, dog, boom, hard man. And Bruce dang, dar boom, hard gang, dang, dog, boom, hour, man, dang, dog, boom, hard man. And, uh, for whatever reason, Bruce believes that John Paul Shelnut is in fact the inspiration behind the sling blade character. I don't believe it. I know it. Read Billy Bob's book. 
What's the title? Talks about what? John Paul Shelnut. What's the title of uh, Billy Bob's book? I don't know. Billy Bob's book. <laughs> it's a book about Billy Bob. What What do you think they talk about in there? Billy Bob stuff? Yeah, yeah. Billy Bob's life. Billy Bob's book. You know what I'm saying? Since we're talking about Billy and Bob, you recently saw uh, the Righteous Gemstones, which I urged you on this show to go check oh out. Oh my god! So, do you like it? I haven't. We haven't talked. So, uh, I, I base your response there on the fact that you've seen it now. Am I am I guessing right? I loved the Righteous Gemstones. But first, let's hear what Macho Man has to say. Match. You'll need Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake inside a steel cage team with a human wrecking machine. Ah! Zeus, a man you've had control problems ah! with. Control problems? I'm not worried about control problems. What they did to Zeus in that squared circle a little while ago, man, I love it. Yeah, because in that big steel cage, 15 foot high around the ring, there are no holds barred. So the fact that I can't control the human wrecking machine, I love it. Yeah, Zeus has been chosen by the scepter, yeah, to get rid of Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. The end of the road, big 15 foot high steel cage, no holds barred, and Brutus the Barber Beefcake, you're guilty by association, so you must fall also, yeah. I'm talking, this is it. This is the end of the road, Hulk Hogan. This is the time that you don't escape. We got you there, that's all that matters, and we'll take you to the bank. We're not going to quit until this man gets rid of Hulk Hogan. Do you understand that, Hulk Hogan? Say goodbye to all the Hulkamaniacs, yeah. Chosen by the scepter, Zeus. Let's, let's go to Mean Gene Okerlund. Yeah. All right, we're back. All right, fuck the barber. Dude. Why you gotta say fuck the barber? Okay, Hulk Hogan's here. We'll, we'll go to this audio, too. Gentlemen, it's gonna be a no-holds-barred Christmas Wednesday, December the 27th, in a 15-foot-high steel cage. You two are gonna be facing the human wrecking machine, Zeus, and, of course, the macho king, Randy Savage, in a steel cage, Brutus. They will cut my legs off and call us both shorty, brother. Brutus, a barber beefcake, pulled his team through. They're survivors. The Hulkster's brother, the maniac, we prove that we're survivors, but on this no-holds-barred Christmas, brother, I just want all the maniacs to know that it's different than any other cage match in the WWF. We're going out to win this match in this 15-foot-high, 15-foot-wide steel-tempered cage, but we're also going out there, Barber, to put those two, the Macho King and the Zeus, out of the WWF. But after what went down out there tonight, Brutus, it doesn't seem like this might be our kind of match, brother. The way the human wrecking machine was choking me down, the way he went crazy, the way he was pushing his own team around, it looked like he could manhandle anybody in the arena. That's why, Brutus, you're going to have to keep the steel-tempered clippers close by the cage, brother. I saw a little tank in the armor tonight, Brutus. Well, you know something? That Zeus, he was out of control, me, Gene. I saw him trying to virtually rip the... the oh, no. From the Hawk's shoulders. Oh, he God. tried to tear his head oh, wait a minute. right off. Just a second. Just a second. You're the survivor, and you beefcake. What are you going to do when there's no holes barred? Look out, it's pandemonium in the locker room. I love it. I don't believe this. So we see Sherry come in 
and literally throw baby powder in Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake's face, and they fall over. And like nobody's that. getting beefcake. I mean, nobody's getting savage off of beefcake. No, they're leaving him. <laughs> Fuck them. Let's save Hulk Hogan. Let's play this audio here. Giant, join forces with Jim the Anvil, Nightheart, and Haku, along with fellow teammates, the Rockers and the Busters. It's the Ultimate Warriors against the Heenan family. Team captains Rowdy Roddy Piper and Ravishing Rick Rude join forces with fellow teammates Superfly Jimmy Stucka, Mr. Perfect, along with the Bushwhackers and the fabulous Rougeos. It's Roddy's Rowdy's versus Rude's Rude. The Survivor Series continues. Dude, how fun is the old look and feel of these shows? Hits me in all the right fields. There you go. And, and it does. I'll give you a little bit of, uh, history on this. It was this show, this night, this building that Raymond Rougeau retired. And he reminded me of that the other day when he, he came up to me and said, Bruce, do you know what happened right here? 30 years ago, um, thinking, and I'm looking at him and I said, well, this was, this was where we did the snake. He says, my last match. I retired. And uh, Raymond Rougeau is, is, is one of the good guys in the business. Just one of the all-time classy, wonderful good guys. What about I'll the, see you here, Jess. How about Jesse's pilgrim hat? Where do you think That's, you guys got that pilgrim hat? I think Jesse brought it with him. No, no. You had to source it locally. You went to a store. What was the name of the store? God damn it. We need answers. No, Jesse, Jesse went to a store. What sort Pilgrim of hats, Pilgrim hats are us and shit. Thank you. We got there eventually. Yeah. I just went a little different way. Man, look at all the fucking mustaches in this shot. I wish we had mean jeans so we could have four of the exact same porn stashes. Well, there's only two. Well, I mean, Lanny's got one. Rude's got one. Uh, both Rougeau's have one. Jacques doesn't have one, does he? I don't know. Fuck off, bro. You're just making shit up now, Conrad. What does it matter? Perfect doesn't have one. I'm calling the bullshit on this. Sean Mooney doesn't have one. I didn't say everybody had one. Oh. Well, fuck. Yeah, fuck what are, you. What are we arguing about then? You just wanted to get loud. Oh. I do that sometimes about a week before the show, Roddy Piper makes an appearance on the Arsenio hall show, Arsenio hall, you know, for our younger listeners, fans may not even know that name. Uh, but he had a, a pretty quote unquote hip late night show back in the era where there was just the tonight show was the, uh, I mean, how does the relationship with, with Arsenio hall and the WWF go where you guys got so many appearances there Hulk Hogan, the ultimate warrior, the macho man, Roddy Piper, lots of folks made a stop off on Arsenio show. Well, Arsenio was a fan. So that helped a lot in Arsenio and his, his folks at book. Hello there, Gene. Oh yeah. I'm going to play the stairs are stiff by God. Here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to play this. You can't. How many times have I told you? How many times have I told you? You can't have lunch till after the, after the. You are being sneaky again. Half 
after the match you can have lunch. You see what well, that's okay. After you see what we got is we got bone breakers here. We got we got people rude up there smiling and laughing and having a great time. Perfect. Easy boys, easy boys. Don't eat nothing. Oh them bones, them bones, them big bones, them bones, them bones, them big bones, them bones, them bones, them We're wild, we're bold, we don't do what we're told. Out of your mouth, who's that? Let's go back to the arena. Holy Moses, did you see that? Yeah, we did that. Was that a Bruce Pritchard pre-tape right there? I was probably running gorilla at that point. That was probably just a, uh, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. Go get it done. And it happened. Not a whole lot of production per se. Damn bones, damn bones, damn big bones. You know. The fuck were we just talking about before that, Conrad? You totally forgot. I don't forget shit. I was talking to you about Arsenio Hall and how he was. Oh, Arsenio fan. Hall. Okay, thank you. So Arsenio Hall was was a huge fan of WWE, and his booking people also realized that we had strong syndication and that we were just you know we had a great following, and they reached out to us, and there was Jay Leno, I guess, at the time on the tonight show. And that was his only competition was Arsenio hall and Arsenio went after a completely different audience than what the traditional tonight show audience was kind of a cooler, younger, hipper audience, which then brought in the WWE stars and, and Arsenio loved it. Arsenio liked to have those guys on because he, he knew the audience that they brought to the table and it was just one of those really good relationships that was beneficial for both parties. Man, how about Rick Root here? Like a million bucks. Yeah. Um, man, this is right before, you know, Rude was getting ready to go away, uh, finishing up this program. Then Rick was going to go away for a while and just kind of heal up and, in Rick's mind, change his body up a little bit and and come back and be a different guy. And he did. He when, did. when he came back with the short hair, it was a different deal. It was. And, and it was, uh, I mean, Jesus Christ, he was in ungodly shape when he came back. Man, super fly. His physique here is off the charts. Yeah, Jimmy was Jimmy was a very very unique, just physical specimen, man. When he used to, as a kid, climb coconut trees all day long. You know, people think that's that's oh yeah, bro, should just because he's from the islands. No, Jimmy climbed coconut trees as as a kid, <laughs> you know, forever, and. Just all always was running. He he dove, you know, did cliff diving, just did everything under the sun and was a natural athlete. And somebody saw him in the Hawaiian Islands and said, Jesus, he'd make a hell of a wrestler. And the rest, as they say, is history. Can you compare um the Bushwhackers to any other tag team in history? There is no comparison, no. 
and for his hot rod coming out, man. And, you know, again, one of the most unique characters ever in our business, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Not the biggest guy in the world, but the biggest personality. But the Bushwhackers, you know, here's here's the crazy thing. You look at how popular that they were in the WWE. They had worked their entire career before coming to the WWE is nasty, bloodthirsty heels. Right. Um, everything about them was blood and guts. You know, it was the gorier, the better, the more violent, the better. And Vince takes one look at him and says, oh, my God. Talks to him for a minute and goes, how can anybody boo you? The most two lovable guys of it, you know, it's, I, I don't get it. I, I see baby faces. And they went on to be two of the biggest character baby faces that the business has ever known. In just one fell swoop like that, they went from bloodthirsty barbed wire matches to, whoa, yay. And doing this shit and. Man, now they're in the Hall of Fame for this. And it lengthened their career. Mr. Perfect, at this point, still undefeated in the company. Does that, does that present a particular set of challenges? No, not at all. He's pretty still perfect just cause he, he's not going to lose here. He's going to be the sole survivor, but I'm saying, is that just a no brainer at this point? Uh, probably so in this match, but it, believe it or not, the, the win, you know, winning and losing that, that wasn't what perfect was all about. It was everything else that he could do. That was absolutely perfect. He's perfect. I loved the Mr. Perfect character. By the way, we're home stretching it, boys and girls. After this, we've only got one more match remaining. It's the Ultimate Warriors taking on the Heenan family. And I'm sure we're going to talk about it a little later, but I want to go ahead and jump the gun a little bit. We had um, a USA special on the USA Network, November 12th. The Survivor Series Showdown. And that is actually taped on November 1st in Wichita, Kansas at the Kansas Coliseum. Vince and Jesse are doing commentary for the show. You'd see Tito Santana and he's seconded by Dusty Rhodes. Pin the big boss man who's got Slick and Akeem with him. That's 11 minutes, 35 seconds. Rhodes would hit the boss man with his own nightstick behind the referee's back and then place Santana on top of boss man. And, uh, there's your finish. Next up, we got Mr. Perfect with the genius pinning Bushwhacker Butch with Bushwhacker Luke on the outside. Just under seven minutes. Perfect plex gets her done. Macho King would have sensational Sherry with him when he beat Hercules after just about 11 minutes, he would use Sherry's loaded purse. And when uh, Sherry distracts the referee, boom, we're done. And then the intercontinental champion, the ultimate warrior would defeat Tully Blanchard who had Bobby Heenan in his corner by DQ. After about six minutes when Arn Anderson would interfere and after the bout, Jim Neidhart, Shawn Michaels, and Marty Jannetty all make the save. And I believe this is actually Tully Blanchard's last match in the WWF. 
We'll circle back to that in a minute. Uh, the last match on the show here is Ted DiBiase pinning demolition smash after 10 minutes and 11 seconds. Of course, Zeus is going to interfere on the floor and, uh, you, you know what happens from here. We get the million dollar dream Axe eventually makes the save, but the survivor series showdown, how do you guys negotiate extra time to essentially be an infomercial for your pay-per-view? Well, because USA Network, they look at it as, you know, it's, it's, they don't look at it as an infomercial. They look at it as another opportunity for ratings and more eyeballs on their network. And we're looking at it as another opportunity to sell this pay-per-view. And it's cable to cable. If you have cable and can see this, then the majority are then going to have access to pay-per-view. And USA just wanted the content. USA was always looking for unique different content this was a special that they could promote and sell as a special so it was a win-win for for everybody involved and we obviously didn't present it as here's an infomercial it was presented as hey here's a preview of one of our bigger events and we're going to give you that preview here on usa so it's a little different than we want to do an infomercial Let's talk about Tully. What do you remember about Tully's time coming to an end here? Well, I remember, you know, just getting the news that Tully was gone. And then the the rumor and the scuttlebutt was that after Tully had given his notice, Tully and Arn had given their notice and they were going to go back to WCW or NWA, whatever it was at the time that, uh, you know, Tully didn't care and Tully had gone out and partying and, whatever the next day was a drug test and totally flunked the drug test. So he was, you know, kind of left with no choice that, well, now you're suspended. You're not even going to get to finish out your notice because you fucked up and just couldn't wait another couple weeks or whatever, however long it was to go out and party. So that's the scuttlebutt. The rumor is he fails for cocaine. It's kind of hard to fail a drug test for cocaine. Is it not? I don't know what, I mean, you told me that cocaine's out of your system in 24 hours. And that's why it was your go-to in the eighties. Is that not what you told me personally? Nope. With your I never told you that. <laughs> no, I mean, just, I'm making a cocaine reference. Help me understand. Do you, is that the same thing you heard that he failed for cocaine? I believe so. Yeah, I do. But I, again, I, I don't know that I wasn't privy to that shit other than guys gone, but that is what I heard. Yes. So when he's advertised for the show, but now he's failed the drug test. I mean, even when you open the show, you know, he's not there, but he's on the video package. Talk me do you through. think one person bought the pay-per-view or a ticket to see Tully Blanchard? Do you? Uh, sure. I mean, friends and family. I doubt it. I think friends and family, especially anybody who knew him, wouldn't buy it. Boy, you got For him. Some, you got some low key heat on with uh, with with Tully. Y'all get along. Tully and I get along fine now. Actually, Tully and I got along fine then. It's it's kind of like. Uh, 
Yeah, I, look, I've known Tully since I was 17 years old. Tully taught me how to tie a double Windsor knot on my tie. And uh, we've always kind of had a love-hate relationship. I always thought Tully was an incredible talent in the ring, great worker. But it just, you know, Tully could be an asshole. That's all. I don't, I mean, last time I saw him, uh, I saw him with his daughter in a convention, and we had a very pleasant conversation. He looked great and so on and so forth. We all grow up and change, but at the time, Tully was an asshole. Give me an example of, of asshole-ish, assholian behavior from Mr. Blanchard. Just being a smart ass about, you know, everything and kind of a holier than thou attitude. There were times back in the day in the Texas territory, I remember where we would have matches, Gino and Tully as a tag team against like Chavo Guerrero and Manny Fernandez. And they would completely leave Tully out of the match because he was just such a, a dick. And Tully would come back to the to the dressing room. Hey guys, thanks for allowing me to be in your match. And um, it just it just was difficult to deal with. Condescending, arrogant, very cocky. And in San Antonio, he had the book for a long time because there was no one else that would do it because Tully was there, and Tully came with the territory because his dad owned the territory. I think the best thing that happened to Tully was leaving Texas and going to Charlotte because he was, he was in a place where he wasn't in charge. All he had to do was go out and work and perform. And the son of a bitch was a hell of a performer. Just not the greatest, nicest guy in the world. Talk me through, uh, a bushwhacker match in this era. Well, they've already done about 10 minutes more than they normally do. <laughs> a normal bushwhacker match pretty much consisted of a whoa and a yay followed by a bite on the ass, a couple of flailing forearms into a one, two, three. And that was the extent of it. They were blown up by the time they marched to the ring. Did you, were you for or against some of Mr. Perfect's over the top selling? You saw him just take a big punch from Roddy Piper and turn a flip. It depended on the situation. I, I thought that, you know, Kurt, usually there's your bite on the ass. Uh, Kurt usually saved it for the right moment. Sometimes he would get out there and play ha ha and go over the top, but I always likened it to uh, Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens in the way that they sold. And, uh, even, even Ric Flair, uh, who, you know, would do these silly ass bumps just out of nowhere. So they were entertaining. So in the right place at the right time, it's, it's entertaining and it's okay.
it's weird to yeah. watch this when you know that we lost Piper, we lost Perfect, we lost Snuka. It's just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a little surreal. Rude's gone. But you know, we got to. A lot can the, happen in 30 years. We got to keep the genius. You know, we got to keep uh, the Bushwhackers. That's something, I guess. Referee Freddie Sparta still alive. Shane McMahon, your outside referee, still still he's kicking. Not, he's not only alive; he's jumping off shit somewhere. Somewhere, this is true. I heard uh, he had a stunt plan for Thanksgiving where he planned to jump off the roof of his uh, mansion, his estate, into a vat of mashed potatoes. Can you confirm or deny? See, that's rumor and innuendo. Okay. He doesn't live in a mansion. He lives in a high rise. I'm aware, but he's going to jump off that some of a bitch into a vat of mashed potatoes. Okay. See, and it's, it's fucking dressing. Oh, this is where the shit just gets all. I didn't know that Yankees did dressing. I thought y'all did stuffing up there. What's the difference? Are you serious right now? Yeah. Huge difference. Please explain the difference. All right. I'm glad you asked. Stuffing is different. Please tell me how. Um, Please tell me the difference between stuffing and dressing. Dressing is made from cornbread. And stuffing is made from breadcrumbs. That would be untrue. Okay, what is it then? Stuffing is stuffed into the cavity of the turkey and cooked in the turkey. Not always. Sometimes it can be stovetop. Then it's dressing. No, it's not. Dressing's yes, made in a goddamn oven in a fucking casserole dish like a sheet pan. No, no. That's dressing. Yeah, that's what I said. Stuffing is in the bird. Or on a stovetop. No. Dude, look up stovetop stuffing, you son of a bitch. Okay. That's not real stuffing. Wait, wait, wait. wait, That's a fucking marketing ploy. (laughs) You got heat with stovetop? You want a good recipe? You take your stovetop stuffing. This is for all you bachelors out there. And if you're listening to this uh, on Thanksgiving, you probably are. (laughs) so you take your stovetop stuffing all right and you cook up all your shit and then when you add it and you stir it all up when you go to let it set you take a can of chicken you know like instead of tuna fish can you know they got the cans with like chunk chicken and you dump that in the stovetop stuffing and then you stir it all up and then you let it set. Well, the heat from the stovetop stuffing there at the time, it will like warm up your chicken. And then when you get it out, you got like a dish, you got like your chicken and your stuffing and all that shit, all in one thing. Yep. You're welcome. I do want to uh, challenge you 
to do something today on Thanksgiving. Why don't you gather the family around, get John Paul Shellnut in there. And why don't you and, and Mr. Shellnut, you know, do a little arts and craft for us this, uh, this Thanksgiving and post it to social media. I'm, I'm thinking we could do the, the age old tradition of a hand Turkey, but we'll do like a wrestling version hand Turkey dicks. What? You're going to draw a hand turkey with your penis mate. You know, you got the neck, the feathers, the body would be, you know, your sack meat. Well, you, you go ahead and, and you do that and put on your, 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 your Twitter account thing. No, listen, Tony's already done it. We've, uh, I believe Tony's done it. <laughs> uh, I believe there's a lot of things Tony's done that you're never going to get me to do. Um, a lot of things. And I do mean a lot of things. Why would you, why would you even entertain the idea of a hand Turkey? I, I have no desire to hand Turkey. Dude. Do you know how much your daughter would love a hand Turkey? She probably made them for you and your son. Both your kids made hand turkeys in school. I know they did. Make what? Well, let dad make them one. Okay. Call I'm going I'm, I'm to share pencil. another moment of my childhood with you. Okay. We had to write a poem and I had to be about eight years old, maybe seven, eight years old, second, third grade, something like that. And we had to write a poem with our hand turkey. By the way, everybody All in right. the match now is dead. And their faces are on the back of Rick Rude's trunks in front of tombstones. Continue. No, they're not. Yeah. Piper and Snuka's faces are on. Lanny's front of still out there. Oh yeah. I'm talking about in the match. Lanny's not in the match. Okay. Anyway, continue. So underneath it, you had to write a poem about Thanksgiving and I'll never get my dad helped me write this poem. And I remember it to this day. The Turk, uh, the Turkey gobbles in the yard to stop him will be very hard. Thanks. Thanksgiving comes, but once a year, Thanksgiving day will soon be here. That's it. Take a haiku. That's really not your best work. It was for fucking eight years old. Well, that's, that's what you did back then, but how I'm going to look and try and find that. Cause I have that somewhere. How do you spend your days now? Well, I'm going to tell you, Conrad, these days I've been, uh, spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. Cause I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. You know, my baby's got me wrapped around her little finger. But you know that I will walk through hell and back to be with her. Because I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. Well, who needs the Macy's Day Parade with entertainment like that? That's damn right. You got Rene Goulet in there trying to break up a fight. But he's, he's like a pantomime in a box. When did you realize this Survivor Series concept really sucked a dick? Why? It's great. It's different. It's taking forever. Yeah, it's kind of long. <laughs> kind of long. I, I can't have you shit. Are on we ha- back at Halloween Havoc? That's what I was about to say, dude. 
Something about Halloween. Not as long as Halloween Havoc. No, it's still going somewhere. Yeah, thank God we cut off Halloween Havoc at the 19th match. This a bullshit, though. I'm going to tell JJ. <laughs> I'm going to tell JJ. I'm going to tell JJ. I don't know why, but you doing that voice makes me think of one of your other awful voices that you do. The Iron Sheik. You referenced Sheiky Baby earlier. We're actually going to be covering Sheik uh, here coming up next month here on the show. The Iron Sheik. I know I do not comprehend for it to be. You say iron, I say iron because the aura. Maybe I humble you, bitch. Maybe I humble you, bitch. Conrad, you ever been humbled? Um, yeah. Really, Mashiki? No. Who humbled you? Life. Oh, I mean, nobody, put I, nobody, I worked with him in, uh, Tulsa. Did he try to break your back and fuck you in ass? No. Did you ever see him try to break somebody's back and fuck him in their ass? Can't say I have. I've seen him try to break someone's back. Yeah. What was, uh, was Iron Sheik? Uh, we know he's a party guy from a drug standpoint. Was there such a thing as, uh, Sheik rats? <laughs> I can't say I ever witnessed a sheik sheiky poo that way. I don't know why, but that idea just tickles me. There is a perfect, perfect plex. No, it really was. God, Kurt Hennig was so good. One of the absolute best, and that's the finish. Your sole survivor, Mr. Perfect. Coming up next, it's the last match on the show. The Ultimate Warriors here. And by the way, we should mention, we've got something coming up really fun next week. One of our most requested shows ever. Tuesday in Texas. It's a show that Bruce was not technically under the employee for the company, but he was in attendance. It's in San Antonio, Texas, December 3rd, 1991. We'll have Bret Hart working with Skinner. Randy Savage working with Jake Roberts, the British Bulldog of the Warlord. Repo Man is going to team up with Ted DiBiase to take on El Matador and Virgil. And then in our main event, Hulk Hogan is going to challenge The Undertaker for the world title. It's an interesting concept and a fun show that was really uh, paying off a lot of stories. I mean, the Savage Jake stuff, and I was a big fan of what they were doing with Hogan Undertaker. This should be a fun episode. Don't you agree? I like, is this going to be a watch along? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you weren't there, so we, we will have a lot of news and notes, but we'll definitely uh, do a watch along because you haven't seen it since you saw it live there, right? This is true. I have not Tuesday in Texas, Tuesday in Texas was in Austin, right? Austin or San Antonio, San Antonio. Yeah. The next day was TV in Austin. And this is upstairs in the Rosemont horizon. No, this is downstairs in the Rosemont horizon. 
I'm gonna play right outside of Gorilla. Here's the audio. Well, uh, there has been some speculation. There has been some dissension in the Heenan family. I think you just confirmed it. But you must admit, uh, Roddy's Rowdies certainly gave you a lot more trouble tonight than you had expected. No, they didn't. We expected a lot of trouble from Roddy's Rowdies, but we expected a win. We had what you might call the perfect combination, and now it's time to celebrate Turkey Day, the ravishing way. Was that perfect or what? Let's go to Mean Gene Oakland. He's standing by with a truly awesome foursome, the Ultimate Warriors. Yeah! All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are just moments away from the members of the Bobby Heenan family facing these four men, the Ultimate Warriors, including powerhouse Jim the Anvil Nighthawk. <laughs> Heenan family, Haku, Brainbusters, <laughs> Andre the Giant, I hope we don't ruin your Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I hope we don't eat too much. <laughs> Marty oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a whole lot of rocking and rolling, a whole lot of strutting and strolling, and taking care of business because we are fired up and we are ready. The Ultimate Warriors are going to rock this town. Heat and family, get ready because we're going to take you downtown Survivor Series style and get ready because the Ultimate Warriors are coming with both guns loaded. Isn't that right? Each one of these men are taking steps in parts unknown. Each one has an organ donor card. And if he shall fall, he leaves all that he has with the others that stand before him. You, the Heenan family, have not united. I have bonded these men in the darkness and the deepness with the pain, and they shall deliver. I bring you the power of the ultimate warrior. Dude, let's talk about that. I mean, Sean is talking to Marty and then Marty is talking to Mean Gene all behind Warriors back as Warriors trying to do a promo. I don't remember the last time I saw that. That's that whole scene was fucking weird. Everything with Warrior was weird. That was that was him. He was weird. Thanks. Well, no, that uh, my takeaway on that whole thing was how fucking young Shawn Michaels was. Oh, yeah. Babyface assassin. And But yeah, and again, they're, do, they're doing their shit, and Warrior's just oblivious, walking in front of the camera and just taking everything over and back and forth and back and forth and uh, doesn't give a shit, and it just was mind-boggling. But most of his stuff was. Pulling on Nightheart's uh, goatee there in a very strange, strange way. But yeah, that was you know that was the appeal of Warrior. It was it was odd. It was different. It was not the norm of what anybody else did and what what you would normally do. God damn! Look at them rockers. Yeah, I'm gonna play a little audio here. Nightheart's getting beat up in the corner. Oh, this match is turning into a Donnybrook here. This thing's going wild. And look at the anvil. Yeah, Andre did not like Marty and Sean. The bell hasn't even rung yet. And we don't have all the team members out there yet. Yeah, but the big man Andre the Giant's going to eliminate the anvil before the bell even starts. He liked Jim. He was about killing Jim. And there's Warrior just waits forever till. And there's 
all of his team gets decimated before he can come out. No, no theme music for his run out, but here he comes to clear house. You hear the crowd going wild, man. They're all about some ultimate warrior. Yep. The giants out the giants out. Yeah. We should mention this is really the first high profile match that, uh, Haku and Andre are going to have. They'll start pairing up after this as the colossal connection. And, uh, they're even going to win the tag titles right here in Huntsville, Alabama, before you know it. Oh, what, like probably three weeks after this, maybe two weeks after something like that. Well, it was next TV taping. So that's roughly right. And then, you know, Andre got himself some new trunks, some new, uh, an over the shoulder garment here, Navy blue, which I thought looked better than the black man. I love Arn Anderson. He's doing his best here with the ultimate warrior. He's trying. He's like, please God, someone else hit me. Oh boy. Do I owe you money? (laughs) Jim Neidhart is in the uh, last match on the show, you know, in a traditional sense, you would think that this would have probably been reserved for Bret Hart and it. How weird would that have been in hindsight, Brett and Shawn Michaels in the same match on the same team with the ultimate warrior, sort of the next big thing in this generation, the ultimate warrior and the two next big torchbearers for the company in the following generation, little foreshadowing, if you will, how about that fan was checking on Andre? Hey buddy, are you okay? Okay. (laughs) Oh, It looks like Andre leaving the bar at 4 a.m. Vodka. How about Rene? I want more vodka. I get more vodka. Man, I love the way Haku just fell on his back and let Jim run over him. Instead of doing the uh, the whole drop down gimmick where you fall on your stomach and they skip over you, he dropped to his back and he, I don't know, that was cool. That's called innovation there, Connie. He's an innovator. Don't do the norm of what, what, what everybody else is doing. You, you be unique. How did Haku like tagging with Andre? I, a lot of respect for each other, man. They, they got along and had been friends for years. Haku came up in the dojos in Japan and worked with Andre over there. And just a lot of mutual respect. Bobby Heenan, you know, when you look at, you look at the, the teams here, Haku, great worker, Neidhart. Okay. Arn Anderson, great worker, Sean Marty, great workers, probably the best worker of the whole bunch, Bobby Heenan. Oh yeah. And Bobby, it, it, it trained, you know, uh, to wrestle, but Bobby, Never really formally trained per se. I mean, he did train and he did learn what to do, but Bobby was just a, a natural, just got in and did shit and learned on the go, but was an unbelievable, unbelievable talent in the ring as well. Love to take that Ray Stevens bump in the corner. 
man, it's so fun to watch an early Shawn Michaels. Yeah, no shit. I mean, he was, uh, you look back and everybody, of course, always compared him to the rock and roll express and, uh, Sean, just because of the color of their hair, I think was the Ricky Morton and Marty was the Robert Gibson. It is fascinating that that comparison is made based on hair color. Yeah. Made sense though. I mean, it wasn't wasn't made on their eyes or anything like that. Hey, so, uh, since we're in survivor series mode, I guess I know we don't talk about new stuff a lot, but, uh, NXT, which was on last night, boy, they really kicked your ass at survivor series. Didn't they? You better get your shit together, Brucey. Well, you know what? I guess they're just kicking everybody's ass. Oh, come on. What? I didn't say anything. Yeah, you did. You said they're kicking everybody's ass. I just agreed with you. Well, I was talking about your ass, your collection. Well, my personal ass. ass. My personal ass is fine. It has not been kicked in a while. I don't know. I feel like Rhea's beat everybody in the company in the last week or so. You better watch out. If you see her walking down the hall, I'd turn around. And go Run. The other way. Yeah, just in case. Yeah, she's special. Dude, I could watch Arn Anderson and Shawn Michaels matches all day. I what love a nice say. I love that spot. That was cool. I don't remember the last time I saw that. And Warriors in the ring looking for something to do and nothing. Well, I'll just step back out here. Yeah, I'll just get out of the ring now. <laughs> He's probably looking at Shawn. Hey, let me do one of those cool things. I want to do something cool. Tag out. Oh. Oh, and that hurt. Oh, and that hurt. Oh, and that hurt. Yeah, well, fuck you. (laughs) How much would you have paid in real life to see Haku and Warrior have a real fight? Wouldn't last long. I feel like that would have been like a a bear destroying like a, a house kitten. All we hear about Haku is... Just next level badassery. I mean, Arn Anderson said the other day on the Arn show, he can be world champion any day he decides to be. Yeah, he was a pretty <laughs> tough son of a bitch, man. I, I definitely wouldn't want to find out. At this point, you know, Hulk Hogan is, is the top draw. And uh, we're already teasing, you know, that we're going to carry the movie over for a, a cage match. We've talked about it a lot here on the program. No holds barred the match, the movie, and that'll essentially be the blow off for, um, Zeus here. But this is really like a test case for the ultimate warrior. Cause even though Hulk Hogan was presented on TV as that match being the main event, we're letting warrior go on last. We want a warrior ending feeling here. The next pay-per-view Royal rumble 90. We're going to see that standoff or that look with Hogan and warrior and the crowd goes nuts. And they realize, or we realize, Hey, we've got our WrestleMania main event. If this had gone poorly, was there a backup plan or was it going to be Hogan warrior? No matter what it was going to be Hogan warrior, no matter what, but good God warrior had momentum here. And there was just such a groundswell and, and the charisma of warrior, it wasn't going to be denied. 
And I think that, uh, you know, they were going to go one way or another. God, Bobby's fucking great. Yeah, Bobby Heenan just underrated uh, for his in-ring work and could go in and have a match with anybody. I mean, he had matches with Warrior and actually had matches that were decent. That looked like a three count to me. Who's this referee? Earl Hebner. Jesus Christ. Shane McMahon's doing one fine job on the outside, just pacing around. Does Shane just really want to be out there in front of the crowd, be a part of it? Oh, Shane wants to be in the ring right now with, with Shawn Michaels. That was, I mean, you know, this was during the time that the summer preceding this, when we had been on the road and Shane had got his first taste of being in the ring and you knew he wanted it, even though we had been lectured and threatened not to let him get in the ring and do anything. Yeah. I listened back then too. I, uh, I feel bad for Arn watching him wrestle the ultimate warrior here, just based on everything we've heard. Cause you know, at any minute he's going to get hit for real. Well, right now I guarantee he's getting the shit squeezed out of him too. Oh my. What was that? That, that was a, that, that there, what's called shooting bear hug. Now here, here's the difference kids. Working bear hug is a work. That there was a shooting bear hug where he's squeezing the living fuck out of you. How do you remember? We talked earlier about Akeem a little bit. Um, he doesn't leave here. I mean, he's still around, uh, after this, I think he's, he sticks around till 1990 sometime, right? Maybe the fall. How do you patch things up where he slides back in and, and he's okay? Uh, sometimes all it takes is for, to get away from the business for a little while, get away, go home, heal up. And you, you put your life and put everything in perspective. Okay. I can go home. I can go work somewhere else. I can find a job. I can do something that is going to be more conducive to my lifestyle. Or, you know what, this is how I make a living and swallow it and head on back to work. So I think that that's kind of what happened with George in that he realized, you know, this is what I do. This is what I want to do and got back to work. So it, it just, if you have time away, it gives you a new perspective. And I think that's all he needed at the time was get away for a little bit and head home with the family and get his shit together. Well, of course, early in 1990, um, the big boss man is going to turn baby face. And as a result, he'll turn on slick and Akeem. We know they're going to pay that off at WrestleMania six. And I guess he hangs around another you know, handful of months and then sometime in the fall, he eases out and he'd show up. In 1991 for WCW as one man gang, you know, you were very familiar with the one man gang persona prior to the WWF. And of course that's what he would continue to use after the WWF, but 
I would argue because of the popularity of the WWF at the time, as far as mainstream and licensing, as many or more people know him as Akeem. What do you prefer? The one man gang persona or Akeem? I always liked the one man gang. I, I liked them both. Obviously I had a hand in creating Akeem and doing all of those vignettes, what have you. But I always liked the one man gang. I thought it was a great heel character. It was so much so that being in the business, I was afraid of gang until you meet him because it's, he's just so nice and so gentle and, and a really warm, warm person. So, um, but the character, and if you didn't see, you saw that coming down the street, you'd be scared. You'd get the fuck out of his way. So I, I loved the character of the one man gang and always thought that he was just such a great heel. He's a heel. When do you remember, since we're talking about replacements here on the show, when do you remember Tully Blanchard being out? I mean, the, the rumor in innuendo was that he was fired the day of this show, but I have a feeling you're going to say that that's not, that's not how it happened. Well, he had already given his notice. It wasn't about being fired. It was, well, he I'm was talking, already gone, but the, the drugs, you know, like, Hey, go home. I, I honestly do not remember. Okay. I, I really don't, don't recall that one. I remember, I mean, I remember it all happening. I just don't remember time frame on that. It just was unfortunate. And I know Arn was pissed off. Well, it's not only cost Arn this, but it also, you know, cost him whatever he thought he had at the NWA. How about a little finger pointing action here with Arn and Bobby Hannon? Well, again, a little, little foreshadowing for Arn and, you know, for Bobby to be able to fire these guys and get rid of them. And if they're not listening to him and taking orders properly. Yeah. You know what? Uh, in my research, um, I said earlier, it was his last match on November 1st. It turns out he had subs for him on the second, the third and the fourth, but he was back wrestling on the fifth. He being Tully Blanchard, goddamn pal. Uh, but he had subs again, starting on the 10th and you know, those would roll through for quite a while. So after missing a, a couple of shows, he does make a few other shots and then he's gone for real. So I don't buy the rumor and innuendo that he was fired the day of the pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I, well, I wish I, I wish I could recall that. I, I don't, I don't remember that one at all. Obviously it was around this time, but don't know. Fascinating to me that, you know, this is coming to an end and one of the best tag teams ever. And we never see them again. Look at there picture. Perfect fucking spawn buster. And that's going to be it for Shawn Michaels. And supposedly, uh, I think Arn has said that Sean was not too happy about getting pinned with a finisher here on the show. Mm, I, I couldn't tell you that one either. I, I think everybody 
that was eliminated got eliminated with finishers, and that's just you know the way it is. I maybe express something to Arn personally, but I never did not experience that. Look at Bobby, Bobby going up top. Will he come off to the floor? He would have done it. Bobby would have done. It. He ain't scared. Talk to me about um, Bobby Heenan. When do you guys decide to? pivot to him as the replacement is that a game day decision or were there other ideas kicked about it was a lot oh god it was it was just logical it was the heenan family who better yeah than the leader of the heenan family to do it and also you knew that you were gonna this is a perfect example of replace of a replacement being better than the original because the audience would want to see bobby get his ass kicked and they would know that in this situation, Bobby's going to get his ass kicked. He's not going to be able to hang in there with guys. And plus they want warrior to get to Heenan. So in, in that regard for a heel to be replaced, that was the right replacement because that was somebody that people, we were lucky in that regard. They had someone that people actually want to see get their ass kicked more so than, than Tully. Tully was just another name on the card at this point. Ultimate nice warrior. little low blow there. By the way, the, uh, the wrestling observer reader poll would give this show 22.6% thumbs up 61% thumbs down. 16 point, 16% thumbs in the middle. What say you thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. For survivor series. I'd give it a thumbs up. Why did you qualify it with survivor series? You still don't like the concept because it's a concept show. Yeah. And if it was, if it was a different show with one-on-one matches and things of that sort, then you, you'd grade it differently from this vantage point of the concept show, the five on five, I thought it was good. I enjoyed the matchups. Oh my God, there's a hand in the ring. Oh, never mind. That's right, Shane. Get him in there. Get him in there. So now your payoff here was bigger. You think anybody, they'd be uh, blowing the roof off the place if that was Tully at the end? I like the lady sitting ringside just reading her book. Look at the flashbulbs. People are ready for this. I like that Bobby's wearing like his, uh, his best little miniature Andre outfit. <laughs> uh, Bobby was wearing that long before Andre even. I know. I'm just trying to. Well, no, I was going to say that was Andre's Bobby Heenan outfit. I like what you wear. Make me one. Bobby's same boots. I bet you his daughter still has those boots. Really? Yeah. That's cool, man. Are those uh, Clifford Macias? Can you tell? Uh, they are because I just know Bobby got them from Clifford. All the big stars did, by God. You know where Warriors boots are from? Parts unknown. No, that's not true, Conrad. Oh, 
Where are they known to be from? They're from the Austin Hall Boot Company in El Paso, Texas. I got a pair. I got two pairs of those. They ain't in business no more. You have warrior boots? No. Dusty boots? Yep. Yep. Here it comes. And that fucking thing hurt like hell, by the way. This hurt like hell. He oh, he took care of Bobby there. And there's your finish, boys and girls. The Ultimate Warriors are sole survivor. And we have made a star. Look at the crowd. I'm going to play the audio here. In theory. For a show like this, I love he's running down Heenan in the aisle. For a show like this, are you uh, on headsets and Gorilla, or where are you? Yeah, I was timing the show, Gorilla. Right beyond the curtain. Right on the other side. You know, in hindsight, it's kind of a shitty thing of Warrior to just run from behind and tackle Bobby in the aisle. That's sort of heelish. Well, sometimes you just got to get out the true personality. Well, that's hurtful. Well, no, it was from a audience standpoint, when you're looking at it and what would you do? It's like stone cold, Steve Austin, that character was a heel, but people loved it. That well, was a heel thing to do. And, but as a baby face, it was the right thing to do. We hope that, uh, the right thing to do for us is to watch Tuesday in Texas next week. One of our most requested shows looking forward to it. If you've got a question for us, just find us on Twitter at Pritchard show. We'll have our man, Dave Silva, go ahead and ask questions and, uh, we'll be ready for you next week, right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy your Turkey con poncho via. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.